A-I-C-K-B-A-C-K, The Kickback. We live in effect with Reek Reek, Bree Bree, and your boy E.B. Let's have fun. We live, baby. The very first episode of The Kickback. All right, now. Lord, we here finally. I know. It took us a long time. Started from the lunchroom. Now we're here. (laughs) All right, Evie, go ahead and educate them on what a kickback is. So you got to think, right? Um, Sometimes people might tell you to kick back and relax. Some people might say kick back when, like, I'm giving you some money or I'm providing some form of financial assistance to you. But a kickback, at least where I'm from, is basically it's a little more than a hangout. But it's definitely not a party. When I mean it's definitely not a party, it's definitely <laughs> not a party. Like, everybody can't just come to the kickback. Okay. It just don't work like that. And you just don't always hang out with just, you know, you might hang out with one or two people who you're really, really close with. But a kickback might be like, hey, we just here. We just chilling. And a couple people might be able to be at the table. And other people got to stand up. Some people can't even get in. Some people got to look out from the window. They just peek it. Not the peeping Tom. Just the peeping people. Listen, but not our kickback. We let everybody in our kickback. For the most part. I mean, some people get a... Well, listen, some people get a special invitation... Some people might be on the outside looking in, but you know they can you know they can pull up in here. Y'all see who the nice one is. It's your weekend. <laughs> I don't know about everybody. <laughs> I know, I'm with Evie on that one. Good. Morning, afternoon, hello, whenever time you listening to this, welcome to the kickback. I mean, we here, live in full effect. I'm going to just start saying good to people. <laughs> <laughs> Opening emails, good. Now, to the now, now the day. <laughs> I hate, speaking of emails, I really hate all the pleasantries and emails. I be just wanting to no. get straight to the point. Oh, I don't like No, it. psychology has taught us that when you start positive, it puts people no. in that mindset and they like, can receive where, where's your information better. Where's what I need? Or here's what I need you to do. I hate all the, good morning, hope this email finds you well. I really don't care if it finds you well. I just really <laughs> want you to know why I'm writing, whether it's I need something from you or I need you to do something I for feel me like or Evie is a good email I writer. Say, I try to be, but I would say, so I get it maybe when you're asking someone for something or requesting something from somebody. But what do you do when someone is emailing you? You don't like those pleasantries when they're opening no, up the conversation? No, what do you want? No. I would agree I mean, on that because I'm like, let's just get to the meat of it. I have too much to do today to read through a paragraph of how are you doing? Because what if I said I was doing bad? You're not going to send me a care package. And, you're not, and I'm not going to say I'm doing bad either. I just want to know what you want from me. You don't know that. Sometimes I definitely email people back and say, I'm having a terrible day today. You be do, You would do that. I, I'm not. You have to. I so just they stick, know I not stick they to the business. <laughs> I really don't care how you feel about how I'm feeling. I don't like emails like that. So I just be like, what, why are we doing But you this? like it in person, Sharika. See, in person. Welcome to the Kickback, another episode. We are, well, you'll just cut it out, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, Evie, I won't just cut it out. That's how it is at the Kickback. Evie, Dang. how are you? That's how, that's how it is. See? Evie, <laughs> no, I will not be cutting it I feel good. I'm going to start off with my temperature check. My temp check. (laughs) My temp check is about an 85 right now, even with that blooper that you guys have just been able to experience. How about you, Sharika? How you doing? 
I'm doing great. I am doing great. I am a good 90 degrees. So I would be a 400. Only thing that really is keeping me down is this hot weather in Florida. Besides that, I am doing great. The Lord is good. I got nothing to complain about. Sabrina? I don't even know. Like, I'm not bad, but you know, it's kosher. Is that a thing that people say? Did I make that up? No, I know that's not, but I was going to say, are we off that? I mean, is that offensive now? I mean, you... Oh, know? my goodness. Maybe yeah, I will cut some stuff out. <laughs> 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 nah, we ain't cutting it out. Oh, <laughs> we ain't cutting so it out. We ain't cutting it out. Um, let me just work. see. That's why I should have stuck with the numbers, okay? <laughs> I'm going to have a cold temperature because cold, I associate with fear and, like, anxiety. Why did I let my husband get me into the deep dive of YouTube and missing persons? I don't hey. know. <laughs> but I watched yeah, a nah. whole thing yesterday. It was like an hour and a half on YouTube called Missing 411. And I never knew that we had this issue, not only in America, but across the world with people going missioning national parks. Like they don't have to keep up with how many people go missing. It is a thing, Sharika. So today I like, even when I um, showed up to work, I didn't get out of my car because it was still dark and I was like looking over my shoulder and I'm like girl you're a Christian the joy of the Lord is your strength but I'm like also people be missing though <laughs> uh, the back of my work has like a whole bunch of woods and I even like you can come in two ways I came in the longer way away because I didn't want to come in beside the forest today so I'm probably like a good 32 degrees I'm, oh, no. I'm looking over my shoulder days asleep and I'm awake listening to the sounds outside because I'm like where are all these people where are all these children and I was like camping that's dead I, love, I know I told y'all I love outdoors and national parks but I never knew don't get into it you guys yeah I'm not I'm not watching <laughs> oh, that kind of oh stuff. but but also get into it because if you ever <laughs> decide to have children it is a reminder don't let anybody keep their eye you keep your own eyes on your kid because a lot of mm. time it was like oh Billy Bob you can go with Susan oh da 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 and then they come back be like oh we lost Billy Bob <laughs> what the blank <laughs> as much as I'm like afraid of whatever is snatching these people everybody would have to be more afraid of me if they lost my child let's just oh, Lord. That, that temperature would shoot right up <laughs> <laughs> Cobblers and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I'm feeling a little bit just cold. I'm afraid. <laughs> oh no. Well, I'm definitely in the 80s, just trying to stay positive because whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. Ah, yes, it is. But sometimes it's a little just like, like overwhelming. You'd be like, it's too much, though. And that's when you gotta watch Heart of Dixie on Netflix. <laughs> it's one of the most like joyful, just love, love. Like, going into a whole nother world and be entertained, which sports does that too. I'm sure EB, for people who tune in, that's part of the reason we do that to get away from our present reality, you know? Some type of greeting. That's what y'all are getting. Welcome back to the kit back. In the words of, I think it was Sabrina last week, maybe. If it wasn't, I'm just saying it anyway. But I am pissed off. I'm <laughs> feeling like D.C. weather right now, and I'm like a 47. Every time people say they're pissed off, which I wanted, I wanted to say it last week, but Sabrina really sounded pissed off. But since you don't sound too pissed off, I want to say it's better to be pissed off than pissed on. <laughs> that is true for some people, because some people enjoy being pissed on. Talk to R. Kelly victims. <laughs> Do you have your tree up? A tree? A tree for what? It's trees outside. What am I going to put up a Christmas tree for? <laughs> that does not surprise me. All I can bit. think about is when he said, you're not going to see that in a Haitian home. And you know what? He's sticking to it. So fair. This week, 
our invite goes out to a special young lady. This young lady is ranked number one by Women's Tennis Association and is the first Asian player to hold the top rank in singles. She is a before you uh -huh, continue, before you continue, because yes. I heard you mm -hmm. say Asian, we will say. I'm not done yet. I okay, don't okay, need okay, 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 okay. I got you and your okay. people. I'm, I'm not okay. gonna let you down. You be okay. worried about that, and I'm like, wait, it's not Serena. <laughs> <laughs> so keep going, because I'm like, who are we talking? About? Continue, continue. Okay, but I only say that because she does play for Japan. That's why I said that part. On her Asian side, she is the first Asian player to hold a top rank in singles and is the reigning champion at the U.S. Open. And E.B. wanted to cut me off to say she is born to a Haitian father and a Japanese mother. Is that what you was talking about, E.B.? That is exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> you wanted me to make sure I got them roots right? Just making sure, represent. just making sure. It is Naomi Osaka, and I'm not even like, like, you know, I've said I'm not into sports that much, and I'm even less into tennis. There may be some of the other major sports that I know a little bit about, but this lady, I've heard a lot about her because she's just so good, and not only is she great on the court, but her spirit is something that I've been admiring. We all love the Lord, and that is our connection to each other. It's actually how we met. It's definitely how we met. We attend the same church, but deeper than that, we are involved in the same small group. And in our work atmosphere, we've been able to share the lunch hour, many a lunch hours together and just chatting and having so much fun a little too much fun okay. sometimes so Sharika it was just her brainchild to be like we need to share this fun with the world we need a podcast did you say that two years ago it's been about two years but we've had a whole a whole lot going on and now it's just happening so Listen. that's how we met and that's how we just vibe in our community with one another they're like fam to me, yeah. work fam, church fam, spiritual fam, fam. All that, all that. Yep. And I think that was definitely part of why we decided to start the podcast because our lunch vibes was just like next level. And it was crazy because it'll be maybe a small little picture that was posted on social media that <laughs> none of us posted. Um, someone else would post it and then people would just be like, that looks like fun. And they'd ever see little snippets of what the conversation possibly was about. And they were just like, oh, snap, that's really dope. But then for the past two years... Sharika just been pushing us like, hey, we really need to put this on wax. Like, we we really need to record these segments, these conversations, just because it can literally go from what is God doing in my life right now to, oh, my goodness, this world is killing me and driving okay. me crazy. Or it can go from, did you see this thing on TV? Did you see this on your timeline? What vacation are we going to next? And it's just all types did of different topics. Did you eat the Popeye's chicken sandwich? We oh. had a whole lunch. <laughs> well, that was a couple weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Popeyes and the Chick-fil-A yes. conversation will probably lasted a couple weeks. But it's just all types of things that you probably talk about in your group chat. Just imagine a group mm -hmm. chat at lunch every day. Yep. I think that's one of the reasons why we started. And that's how I would say this came about for us to have the kickback. Yeah, and I just wanted to connect um, with people like us. Like, there are so many podcasts out there. I know it's another podcast. But I'm like... Where's the podcast for the people like me? And this whole social distancing thing, I mean, I just... These people in the grocery store don't be social distancing. They be right up on you. Like, in your face. And I give them day. the 
dirtiest looks and, <laughs> and I hope they can feel it in their soul because the grocery stores have been really clear right so they had these huge circles like stay back so when I'm paying and they creep up on me I turn around and I make a nice little 10 second pause of me just looking at them y'all know that meme with Puff Daddy and the guy from The Voice and they're just looking at each other blinking that'd be me I don't care young old y'all can all catch these eyes back the blank up six feet apart and when they have the nerve to be up on you and coughing girl Evie, Evie, that's when I'm really like you know what the black lives matter movement I don't understand how this is a, such a hard concept for people to understand I hope this is not the first time you've heard this but just in case you haven't black lives matter does not mean Black lives matter more. Black lives are better. It doesn't mean we want black supremacy. Shut we just want equality and equity. We want to matter. We want to be able to thrive, survive, just like everybody else. And it's not, and it doesn't mean that if we feel that if black people commit crime, they should be going off scot-free. No. But we sure feel like if white people commit crimes, they shouldn't be going off scot-free. And also, if we do commit crimes, we should get the same treatment as everybody else. Our sentences shouldn't be worse and more, like Sabrina was talking about, they shouldn't be longer sentences, more penalties than everybody else. We need the same treatment, and that's what Black Lives Matter essentially is about. Of course, there's a lot more in it, especially in the Christian community. There has been some huge problems with people feeling ways about Black Lives Matter. And to them, I say, what y'all doing? What are you doing to help the cause of people who are in need, who are suffering, who are dying? What are you doing to help support and encourage and fight for justice for people who need your support and help? One of the things that has come out or has happened through this pandemic is the church has really a lot. I'm not going to say the church as a whole, but a lot of people who uh, are a part of the church have felt a certain type of way of Black Lives Matter movement. And they felt like it was this and it was that. And listen, I, this is how I feel about it. There is n not a lot of things that I, outside of God, the Bible, Jesus Christ, there's not a lot of things I subscribe to 100% because we're all different people and, you know, people have their own ideas of what, you know, when they begin things and when they start movements, when they start programs, and you might be a part of a program, you might be a part of an organization and you subscribe to most of it and you love a lot of things. Not every situation is perfect. And so there are some things that people find problematic with Black Lives Matter movement. And you know what? I, I feel like if they're out here trying to help, I'm taking the help. I like liken it to the story in the Bible of the Good Samaritan. Like there was a lot of people who passed by this beat down man who was mm. dying on the side of the road. Religious people, people who you thought would have stopped and helped. And it was a man from a, another town, another area that was basically their enemies who was the one who stopped and helped this man and I don't care who you are if I'm in need and I'm in and, and, and I'm hurt I'm you know being beat whatever it is and someone is stopping to help I don't care what their beliefs are I don't care what they feel like if they're willing to do something 
positive to help save me, help to save a life. I'm taking the help. I'm accepting the help. I'm grateful for the help. And I don't care where they came from, what they think it if they're trying to do something well. And that's kind of how I feel about the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. So when you register to vote and you go out and vote, you're voting for people and you're placing a sense of confidence and an accountability on those individuals. And if they don't do what you expect them to do, then you find ways to either petition them to get out of office or you make sure you vote in another way come the next election. I remember this video. I wish I had the name. It just popped into my head when you said you hold these people accountable. This was all over social media. He was very upset with this woman. I can't even think of her name. He said it so much, but I, right now I can't even think of her name. Was it the guy from Louisiana? Yeah, like when she was, council, um, when she, yes, and she was over oh, there. Oh, Connie? Connie, yes. <laughs> Definitely Connie. Yes, Connie. <laughs> yes, and Connie was on there online shopping. I'm here for you, Connie. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. Was, Rouge. Yes, he was here for Connie because, like he said, he was calling for her to resign because this was just not about the business, and she was on. Oh, she call. was about. She was on about that Amazon business, wasn't she? Shopping for she was some shopping curtains. For <laughs> Shout out to Connie Bernard. It was a school board meeting, matter of yes, fact. Yes, a school yes. board meeting. Yeah, they were thinking of changing the names. Changing the name, Robert E. Lee School, or whatever. I don't yeah, know. changing Middle it to something school, else. School, and whatever. he gave credible people in the city of people who it could have been named mm-hmm. after. And again, these school board members are people who are elected officials. Yeah. It's important to know who you're voting into these spaces, again, of positional authority. Yeah. We're coming for you, Connie's. <laughs> we're going to see if we can find a way to put that clip in there. <laughs> I don't know if we can, but we're going to um, try. So I had intended to get up here and talk about how racist Robert E. Lee was, but I'm going to talk about you, Connie. Sitting over there shopping while we talking about Robert E. Lee. This is a picture of you shopping while we talking about racism and history in this country. Only white members of this board got up while we were up here talking, too, because you don't give a damn, and it's clear. But I'm going to tell you what the slaves, my ancestors, said about Robert E. Lee, since you don't know history, sister. Let me tell you that they said when he got the plantation, after he got off the field where 27,000 people died, At Gettysburg, Connie, Robert E. Lee was a brutal slave master. Not only did when he whooped the slaves, he said, lay it on them hard. After he said, lay it on them hard, he said, put brine on them so it'll burn them. That's what Robert E. Lee did. And you set your arrogant self in here and sit on there shopping while the pain and the hurt of the people of this community is on display because you don't give a damn and you should resign. You should have resigned two years ago when you choked a white man in his house. You should have resigned two weeks ago when you got on TV and said foolishness. And you should walk out of here and resign and never come back because you are the example of racism in this community. You are horrible, not to the rest of the board. You have an obligation to the people of this community. And 81% of them are black. And do you need a Klan rally outside, Mr. Godet, before you end it? Because holding it up means that you put that building in jeopardy. You do, sir. Because all over the country, they're burning stuff down. And black folks in this city have stood with protesters. I ain't seen you elected officials out there with them, making sure that nothing goes south in Baton Rouge. It's been folks in this community who give a damn, not just when it's comfortable, but every time. And four years ago, we came down here. Mr. Drake, they say you're a good man. Be a good man. Black folks say you're a good man. White folks say you're a good man. Your legacy is attached to tonight, brother. Your legacy. Now, let me say this. The black members of the board. It's the most solidarity I've seen out of y'all in forever. Let's keep that. Let's stand on this moving forward. Because we don't need to apologize for Connie, Evelyn. She showed you who she was when she was sitting next to you while you were talking shopping. 
You don't need another example. Now, when do we as Baton Rouge stop being in 1856? If you want to name the building after somebody, how about PBS Pinchback, the first black governor of the state of Louisiana, when he was governor during Reconstruction? You want another name? Oscar Dunn, who was the lieutenant governor of the state of Louisiana in the 1860s that gave the right for Darius Landis and Don Collins and, and Evelyn Ware Jackson and Tramiel Howard to get here. You want to name it after somebody from Reconstruction? Name it after the people who fought for abolition of slavery. If you want to name it after somebody, honor the right people, the people who are on the right side of history. But it's your ancestor that the school is named after. So you're holding on to your heritage. But we built this joint for free. And we've done begging you to do what's right. Thank you, sir. Next. Yeah, that it was, and it was so good because it was like, you know what? It's time for the comments to be called out. It's time for the people who have been in these positions that really don't care about the people and they're just in there for their own interest. It's time to call these people out, but you can only do that when you know what you're talking about and when you know you have your own expectations and you have your own hopes and dreams for your community and you're invested and you care about not just yourself, but those around you and you want better for them. And then you see these elected officials over here just chilling and shopping and you're like, uh-uh, we're we not about this. You know what? We are here for the commies. No more. And I could travel like anyone. I'm just hopping on the plane, sitting on the float. I'm flying to Dubai for the fridge. So <laughs> I would be all on that. <laughs> so, but if, even if you're in the room, invisible, you, you can't make yourself known. You got to be quiet. I will be, but it's me just knowing. I'm invisible. They won't know that I'm there. I know that I'm there. So I would be able to know. So you will call them out. Hey, I remember. But how do you know, sir? You weren't in the meeting. I won't be calling them out. I'll just know that energy when I see oh, them next time. Okay. Okay. Like, you don't really feel that way. You're lying to me in my face right now. In the meeting, you felt a whole nother way. I don't know. I feel like having the gift of discernment is kind of edging the lines of what he's saying. And how many times have we spoken truth to power and it does not turn out how you think <laughs> it's going to? So I don't know that I want to know because sometimes I do know things and speaking that out, it doesn't matter if it's facts. They don't care. True. So. That, I see where you're coming from because Harry Potter definitely killed it with an invisibility cloak. But I don't know. I think my superpower, and y'all might laugh at this, and it's so, like, typical, I guess, but I think I want to fly. I just love nature. I love hiking. I just love being outside. Every time I see birds fly or... Recently, I got to do my first high air balloon ride ever, and it was incredible. I love skydiving. I've only done once, but I loved it, and there's just something about being above it all. Okay, there's a word in that, too, yeah. but we don't have to get into it. <laughs> I think mine would be flying. What I about you, Sharika? Sounds fun. I would do teleportation. So I could just nice. pop up anywhere, anytime, and I really just say that mainly because I think about all of my friends and families that are far away from me, and I was like, I just like to pop up and just... At a so-and-so's birthday party without having to buy the plane ticket and all that stuff, eliminate the traffic and all that good stuff. See, and if you was invisible and if you could fly, it will be the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy that we all like, have somewhat the similar thing of getting places where other people can't get to. That's true. I just imagine Evie sitting in the aisle invisible and then somebody's tripping over Like the drink cart. You can't even get <laughs> a drink. Where you going to go when the drink cart comes down? Evie. And then, okay, if the plane goes down or if you're on the boat, they're not going to have a life jacket for you. They didn't have you I'm taking somebody else's home. I'm invisible. So you're invisible and you're a criminal and you're taking people's life 
So I'm just supposed to die because I'm invisible? See, that's why I'll skip the whole plan. I'll just pop up wherever I need to be. That is a good one. I didn't think about that. I, I like to pop up. I graduated from college. I live like three minutes from the South Carolina line. And anytime I needed gas, I would just hop to South Carolina because it was cheaper. Uh, so I kind of lived in South Carolina. But basically, North Carolina, Kentucky, Florida. I will never live in Texas, Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi. That's not it. But I can't see myself living in the West, like a Colorado. Like I love the outdoors or Oregon, so beautiful. But the deep, deep South, no. Start that off hands down, Haiti. Ooh. Like just being home, home with people um, from the same lineage of me, seeing family members who I can't see daily. The food, the culture, the environment. Haiti is definitely my favorite place. I was thinking about that question myself. And I wanted to, I mean, it is where I was born, my birthplace. I thought I was like, do I really want to say my favorite place that I've traveled is the Virgin Islands? I don't know, but can't beat the food and the environment, the relaxed culture. I don't know. Oh, man, it's so hard to say. And I think I, it's because I also, there's fun and exciting things everywhere you go. It's, it's fun and new things. So mm-hmm. it's hard to say what's the best place. But I'm just going to go with my birthplace. Because I only lived there until I was three years old. So I don't really remember a lot from living there. But when I get to travel back to St. Thomas to see family and whatnot, yeah, i got to say that. I'm like thinking at first when Evie said Haiti, I was like, oh, I'll say Haiti. You know, but then I thought, okay, if we're in the States, it's definitely – Definitely between Colorado and Vermont for me because I love skiing. And I've said this like three times this podcast, but I love nature and it's so beautiful. And both of those places had the best skiing of my life and just the mountain views and the clean air and not overly populated the places that I was. So I just like being able to see trees and ski and all that kind of stuff. Outside of the U.S., whoo! That is so hard. Haiti is beautiful. And Haiti is the first time I saw the mountains and, like, the oceans meet, like, at one place. It's always been one or the other. So when I went there, I was like, yo, this is a postcard. Like, I can definitely retire here. But I think London, the history there, uh, it's go- and then you have to think, like, you know, I'm a thespian, so I got to see the Globe Theater and wow. all that kind of stuff. So, wow, oh, that's really hard. Say that T word again. Thespian? Just to make sure. <laughs> I know, I know yeah. some of our listeners. Oh, some of our listeners gonna be like, I thought she said she was married. <laughs> like, just I just want to make sure. That I should say uh, I am a person who studied theater and I love acting and all that kind of stuff. So you know, I don't forgot Shakespeare. Is there a book that has changed your life, Sabrina? Outside of the Bible? If you want to say the Bible, then it'll be that. If it's a book, Bible, and another book. Definitely that. I remember the first time I read through the Bible, it took me nine years, because you know how it is. You be on, you be off again. (laughs) But then the second time I read through the Bible, I did it in a year. And yeah, it's really just been those two times. I'm reading through the Bible again right now. This might be another nine-year one, (laughs) With a consistent, you know, consistency. Outside of the Bible, I will just say, can I tweak this question too? Sorry, I will say uh, East of Eden by John Standeck. He wrote Grapes of Wrath. Never read that. Not really into the farm life kind of book. I'm pretty sure that's what that's about, the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. But East of Eden knocked me off my socks. I think I was in ninth grade when I read that book because he gets through this whole thing about choice, the Hebrew word for choice. Tim Shell, and he's like, that's what makes all the difference. And as a kid who grew up with, not, I had a great, great childhood and all that, but just like 
so many things put on me, whether it's my skin color or my gender or whatever else, that book at the end, he was like, it's the choice that we have that makes all the difference. No matter your past history, no matter what anybody puts on you, you have a choice to design and live the life you want to live. So shout out to that great book. Those two books really, you know, change my life. What about you guys? I'll go. Um, I know I know few podcasts ago I said I'm not a huge reader I do like to now that I've met audiobooks I, it's been a whole new level I've been on a whole lot of different books one of the books that I really loved was The Shack I know that was like popular uh, but and I know it's not a super intellectual book but it really the thing that I loved about that book is that it helped me not to put God in a box because God was presented, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, was presented in so many different forms, in forms that people were not expecting, or the way that we, um, in culture, our culture kind of like looks at God. Um, so I love that book because it helped me to open my mind on how I see God and how I think God intercedes and interacts in my life by how he was portrayed. And, and not that I'm saying that the God in that book is how God is, but it just helped me to stop limiting who I think got it. For me, um, one of the books would have to be Charlotte's Web. Aww, um, part of it is because of just the author is E.B. White, so just something <laughs> had clicked in that. But also, see? <laughs> I love that movie. I never read the book, but I did love that movie. The book definitely ties, it's one of those few, I would say, that ties into what the, I guess the movie actually shows, but you, you're sitting there seeing this young little girl by the name of Fern taking somewhat of a care for um, an animal that's a pig, and most people isolate the pig. And then you have Charlotte, the spider, who finds a way to save the pig. And then, like, of course, Charlotte dies. Um, and it's, but, Spoiler alert. But, hey, if you don't know that book by now, then you should be listening to the podcast. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You should be listening. But it's just a good book. And I would say, I think it gave me a perspective at a very young age, the value of life. Um, just watching how Charlotte dove into the life of the pig and the rat. I think it was Templeton or something yes. like that. Yeah. And just these other characters of just like, hey, we have to value what we have and the people um, that's in our life. And so that was something that was definitely, I guess, a highlight for me. Ladies, what is your favorite scripture and why? For me, it's definitely Psalm 1833. It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect or keeps my way secure. Just feel like as a leader and as an educator, a lot of times the students are like, how are you this way or how do you persevere through this or that? And I love being able to say, like, it's the Lord. And as a reminder to myself, like, remember, the joy of the Lord is your strength. God is going to arm you with everything you need, and he's going to make sure you're strong enough to deal with the things that come your life, and essentially that my way is perfect. So I love that one. So mine is found in John, and it is, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you, for this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciple. And the reason why that scripture is important to me is because I just remember the time and place I was in my life where I just felt like super disconnected, um, that God wasn't hearing me. And this scripture came to me at that time. And it just reminded me that like I can come to the Lord for whatever I need. And if I remain in him, you know, he is able and willing to do what he said he's going to do. And so that scripture just really um, became my favorite scripture. And it's John, it's found in John 15, starting at verse 7. 
All right. And I would say mine would have to be 1 Corinthians 11, 1, where some versions say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, or other versions say, imitate me as you imitate Christ. And I would say the reason that is, is because I know for myself, there's people who I look up to and I watch what they do, but I only try to pull or mimic, I guess, the good habits or the things that exemplifies good behavior. And so I'm pretty sure that there's other people who, I guess you would say, model the same thing in me, where they're pulling the good things out of me. So as I follow the, as I follow the example of Christ, I'm hoping that I'm making a good example or a good or an impact on their life in that positive way. So that's definitely the scripture that is currently my favorite scripture in my life verse right now. An NFL owner came out of his mouth and said, them playing on the field is just like inmates in the yard. That's the way an owner wow. referred to his players. And like, for me, it's like, if I'm an athlete, it's no way, like in my mind, I would say, it's no way I can play for this owner. But if I can't yeah. find a job anywhere else, I have to do what I have to do for yeah. some people. Now me, I would be like, I'm out. Like if I can't make another team, then I have to find another job and I'm cashing yeah. out my money and I'm finding some form of residual business um, to gain some form of income. Wow. Uh, I'm stunned by what that owner said. And I'm sure a lot of his players did decide to continue playing for him. At the beginning of what you shared with us, you talked about how when you're playing for them, you are like essentially their product. And just like all of us with our job, there are certain rules and regulations about things we can post on social media or the way we dress when we come to work. It comes back to the top of our conversation. Then do they have a right to use that as a platform of protest? If they're at work and they're supposed to be representing their company in a certain way, with that in mind, what do we say to that? If we're, you know, we're going to talk about playing devil's advocate. I would say when people don't agree with what's going on, they have the right to stand up and speak out against it. They do have that right. Sometimes it will cost mm. them their job. Sometimes it may be the catalyst that brings about the change that is needed on their job. Going into it, they have to be ready and prepared for whatever may happen. But you always have the right to stand up for what you believe is right. If it's worth it to you enough, you know, that risk. And when people protest, it's not in a comfortable way that makes the employer feel like, wow, look at my people standing up <laughs> against me and telling me that what I'm doing is trash. I love the way they're doing that. You know, nobody feels that way. Everyone's like, this is uncomfortable. This is pissing me off. This is making me upset. Just because you are employed by somebody doesn't mean you have to take whatever treatment they decide to dole out on you. I agree with you. Totally shriek on that. Shout out to Evie for bringing some of these things to our attention because Bob McNair, he's never invited to the kickback. That's all I have to say. One of the best ways to describe the last dance is imagine that you are at the top of whatever you're doing. So those of you that are in the office as you're listening to this, or those of you who are truck drivers or you travel for a living, just imagine you're at the pinnacle of your career and you're the best at what you specifically do. If that's being a mother, um, a teacher, being a father, being a musician, being an athlete, you are the best and people look at you and look at your peers as just the measure of success. So a president of basketball operations for the Chicago Bulls basically told a head coach that no matter what you do, 
this season, you will not be back next year. And one of the reasons for that was because the late Jerry Cross felt that it wasn't necessarily the coaches who made things happen, or at times he didn't feel it was the players. He felt like it was upper management and the executive level who put these pieces together. So credit should be due to them for putting these pieces of the puzzle together. So throughout this last season, the 1997 to 1998 season, cameras, as they always did, followed the Chicago Bulls through the highs and the lows of what took place that season as they finished off as NBA champions for that season. One of the other things that were interesting about this is the time lapses between of going from 1984 mm-hmm. to 1998 or 1985 to 1993 and, and as they were bouncing back and forth. So it's just basically footage of covering the Chicago Bulls. So everybody was just like, this was a Michael Jordan docuseries. Of course, he was the focal point of it because not saying people didn't care about the other athletes, but he was the face of that team, that franchise for more than a decade. And it was just interesting to just see what really goes on behind the scenes in sports. Like for me, very enlightening, but also just the commitment level of these athletes. As Evie said, it was about the Bulls players. So they highlighted a lot of their top players and kind of gave some of their background, where they grew up, some of their highlights of what led them to getting into the NBA and some of their personal lives. Also, how it was to play amongst each other, as well as against other, you know, well-noted players from other teams. What was like one of your top moments of The Last Dance? Maybe it was like episode five or six or something like that. And they were asking Michael Jordan, like, how he feels about possibly being considered a tyrant. I'm going to find the quote, so give me a moment, because it was so powerful. Like, I literally was moved to tears, as was Michael Jordan. Like he got choked up, right? Because mm-hmm. he was like, I need to do whatever it takes to get these people to be on my level. You mm-hmm. know, so I'm running this race. And if I have to drag you and you get bloody, I'm fine with that because you're still beside me. And that resonated with me because I feel like I try to bring that same sort of passion to the things I do in life, to my faith, mm-hmm. to my work. And sometimes I can be considered hard or maybe even the B word. And I could just identify with him being like hurt because he's like, you know what? It's not that we want to be that, but we know sometimes it takes that. And we're fine with that, but it's hurtful because it's like, I mean, you don't want to be at odds with people. So geez Louise, it was such a beautiful moment. Horrible situation for your dad to like be murdered. Him and his dad were so close and his dad was beside him through his whole journey, was really a huge part of being in basketball. And then it being on Father's Day, this is the first championship he wasn't there for. But just also to just see the human side of Michael Jordan because we see, you know, like Serena says, just that strong drive that maybe a lot of us don't have. Some people do, but just to be so dedicated and committed, it is almost like not natural from a lot of people. That's why he's so amazing. And that's why he's not like everyone else. But to see that there is that heart human side that all of us can resonate and relate to. I mean, I can still hear that man sobbing. It is, it was so powerful. It was absolutely beautiful. It 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 was. was beautiful because what we're seeing, and I think what was shocking for me in this one, just like their sheer ability and their gracefulness in basketball. Because mm-hmm. I love dance and the things I was like, these these guys could be ballet dancers over here. <laughs> they're jumping in their legs and their strength. So we associate mm-hmm. these athletes with like the masculine of the masculine, right? And then you see these this other side of them, like th- 
you see like the full spectrum of what it means to be human the joys mm -hmm. the pain the pushing yourself to the max it was just so good yeah, <laughs> okay really so I, I found the quote when and bear with me to... because it's about a paragraph long but it's worth every word they asked him at the end of one episode like what's your response to the fact that your teammates were like yeah i mean don't get me wrong he was an a-hole mm -hmm. this is his response and it might not be in the right order so mj forgive me for that my mentality was to go out and win at any cost if you don't want to live that regimented mentality then you don't need to be alongside of me because i'm going to ridicule you until you get on the same level as me and if you don't get on the same level then it's going to be hell for you look winning has a price and leadership has a price so i pulled people along when they didn't want to be pulled i challenged people when they didn't want to be challenged and i earned that right because my teammates who came after me didn't endure all the things that i endured once you join the team, you live in a certain standard that I played the game with, and I wasn't going to take anything less. Now, if that means I have to go in there and get in your ASS a little bit, then I did that. You guys saw my teammates. The one thing about Michael Jordan was he never asked me to do something that he didn't effing do. When mm. people see this, they're going to say, well, he wasn't really a nice guy. He may have been a tyrant. Well, that's you because you never want anything. I wanted to win, but I wanted them to win to be a part of that as well. Look, I don't have to do this. I'm only doing it because it is who I am. That's how I played the game. That was my mentality. If you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. Right. <laughs> episode ended. And I was like, why have I not been standing this man my whole life? <laughs> so amazing. But you can just see in that his heart, like his soul was in it. He may have been harsh, but it came from such a good place. Sabrina was like, I'm about to go get me some Jordans, okay? I need to be about this Jordan life. For the listeners who don't know me and my husband, like my husband is flip-flops all year long, nice pants and flip-flops. You know, he's just that typical Florida man. The last time I bought a pair of sneakers, when was I in college? It was like 2009 and I bought it because my sorority, we had to step and they're like, uh, Sabrina, you can't come through with the flat. And you know, I had running sneakers and they were a pair of Nikes, but that's the last time I bought like fashionable sneakers. And most people will say, like, Evie and Sharika, you've known me for, like, six, well, Evie longer. Y'all probably have never really seen me in sneakers. Not really, man. Yeah, like, part of me want to say maybe once or twice during the summer, just when yeah, I see I you riding a bike. Yeah, I was running or something. Right. Yeah, like, like something but, doing athletic. But that's not, con like, yeah, definitely not common. So that gives you guys, like, a backdrop of how into MJ I am. I'm going to buy myself a pair. And, you know, my husband listened. It was going to be a surprise. But that's fine because they get ready to take the flip-flops off. Go ahead and pull out a pair of socks because you're getting a pair too. We're coming through with the Jordans because I just feel I need to support. <laughs> I need to support. I'm literally about to cry again right now because I'm so inspired by him. I knew the name Rodman, right? Because he was so eccentric and all of his antics. Like I knew of who he was, but Rodman definitely has a depth to him and was a fantastic basketball player. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh. This was just like this other thing that the media put out there and I just yeah. you know, took on as who he was. I'm like, hey, but he gets mad respect too because guess what? How many people could go out to a wrestling match in the middle of the final <laughs> and come back and still do the things? Okay. Not many. So I'm like, not hey, many. I'm not mad at him. I gained an admiration for Scotty who was so humble. 
like even his voice like he should read some audiobooks and I would like buy them he can just read the weather to me it just is a reminder like these athletes are human they have lives and backstories and hearts and like hearing about what happened to his dad and then his brother and like growing up in a family where two people were handicapped you know and what that meant for him in the game and the money because he's like supporting his family yeah, yeah. Ah, wow oh also coaches i felt like coach phil jackson was an unsung hero i know michael jordan is everything but that coach was so i love good. phil and phil is looking like a snack in these right. days okay okay <laughs> he said no comment okay, phil. i'm like you getting better with time like you know everybody is needed and that's why he calling everyone to be at your top level. Like he wasn't calling everyone to be Michael Jordan. He was like, I need you to be the best you because we need you you're on our team. And when the ball gets in your hand, you need to do your best work. I like Steve. I didn't know he was a coach now, but he was really humble because he says something about him not being like the best player or something like that. But he was a hard worker. And sometimes hard work outweighs talent. You can be very talented, but if you ain't willing to put the hard work behind it, somebody can pass you by just by working harder than you. One of my, I guess, at times challenges or things that makes me just shake my head at times is that there's leaders um, on both sides who have their views on abortion. Um, at least for me, my, my interpretation has been seeing that everyone who's on the left is, um, in a sense, pro-choice and everybody who's on the right is pro-life, but that's not the case. Um, from you have some governors, um, and I can, we can go down the list of names, but some say after six weeks, then they ban abortion at that. Some say eight, some say 12. So for me, and that's on the right and the left, others say 24, um, which is crazy, and, but that's on them. But so for me, it one of those things that I don't think this is a right or left issue. This is what we talked about earlier, a person making a choice. So sometimes the narrative is, if you're a liberal, then you're for abortion. Why are you letting this happen? And it's just like, no, don't put me in the box with all those other people. Because I can easily look at Missouri and say, Republican Governor Mike Parson signed a law on May 24th, banning abortion after eight weeks of pregnancy. The law makes no exceptions for rape or incest. So for me, it's just like, what happens for the first seven weeks? Is that not a child? Just, just curious. We had, we had Kamala Harris at what nine months? Nine months. Yeah. No, so That's like, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's one of those things. It's, it's for me. It's like we can't have this mindset that one side is for it and one side is against. Right. It comes down to that individual. Well, first off, I do believe that it, it is in the best interest of the American people to privatize more things than not, because when we privatize, we own. We have more of a stake in our own autonomy mm -hmm. instead of government dictating how we do things. However, however, this is where I'm not comfortable. The privatization of prisons as it is today has resulted in essentially creating slave labor to unfortunately create and make some of the very things that we're consuming. Mm -hmm. Hey, if you wear Victoria's Secret, you're benefiting from prison labor. Check your stuff. That said, that also means that who who's getting something out of this, right? The whole point of the criminal of the justice system, let's forget criminal, was to protect the American people from the government oppression. That's where we started, right? That we are innocent until proven guilty. We are to be protected by the constitution and state laws until we someone is proven guilty. 
Unfortunately, a lot of people plead guilty for the issues that we talked about earlier, don't need to rehash that. Then we end up with people, guilty or not, they're doing time, and there are people profiting, profiting from their servitude when it was intended as a means to not only punish, but also not only punish a person, but deter, deter crime and protect everyone else's free, right? But here's the thing, guys. Hey, kids, research ALEC, A-L-E-C, who has written a lot of the laws that both Republicans and Democrats have signed into law. Check it out. You shop at Walmart, you shop at Target, check it out because you're contributing to this problem. So putting that aside, I have issues with basically people who profit from blocking people up, profit from selling them things at ridiculous prices, profit from the collect phone calls that they have to make home, profit throughout the entire process, and someone is still supposed to have resources to defend themselves. That doesn't make any sense to me. So the privatization of prisons has resulted in applying capital, capital policy that is supposed to be for free enterprise to handling something that is a matter of the Constitution of the United States. My neighbors where I live are there illegally. I literally see them, they have three cars. I don't know how they got these cars. They have three cars. The father has a car, the daughter has a car, the mom has a car, four cars, the son has a car. None of them I see working, but the father. I don't know how the money is accumulated, but they're paying no taxes. They're here working under the table, accumulating, saving. Where are they from? So you don't say, you don't say for sure. I don't know. I don't know what country they're from. So they're Spanish-speaking country. And I said before, Trump is testing a lot of Christian faith right now. Trump is? Yeah. Oh, no. I would not agree with that. What I'm saying is he's testing our faith right now because you're beginning to see who's who and what's what. We saw that before. You're talking about being able to tell the sheep from the goats. And I feel like we, as Christians, with the Holy Spirit and the gift of discernment, way before Trump. But it's more prevalent now, even within the churches. You're now seeing pastors represent... Uh, if anything, I'm seeing people act, make a complete... Just be really irresponsible. Um, and maybe that's what you mean by that. But not. I'm not seeing it in a good way. I feel like I knew who was maturing their faith and who wasn't before Trump. But some pastors I see be really irresponsible. And that's why I wanted to have this forum. Because I knew... The Christians in this room could disagree and talk and be responsible right. and mature. And this is what I need you guys to do as Christians. Don't get on, please, don't get on Facebook just calling someone stupid or an idiot and not know a thing about policy, a thing about legislation, not be able to back up what you're saying with the Bible. Because we're Christians and we ascribe to that. And hopefully you were able to do that before Trump and you'll be able to do that long after him. There's multiple ways to look at it. If you want to just look at fact, the pure secularism, Israel is the. Is this, can, is this working? Yeah, okay. Israel is our only democratic ally in the Middle East. It's critical that we support democratic allies, okay? Those are our friends. So we need to support them as the only democratic ally in the Middle East, okay? There are other people that we work with in the Middle East. They're not democratically elected people and leaders, 
that Israel is a democratically elected leader. I think the most important elected country. The most important thing, though, is we are all believers here, okay? And what God says about Israel is paramount. In Genesis 12, 3, he says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Throughout history, nothing's been more true than that. Nations that rise up against Israel are cursed and are no more for the most part. Um, all of Revelation speaks about all of the nations that Jesus is going to come back and fight against. Okay, and it's a bloody war. And the reason he's fighting against them is because they have come against Israel. We want to be in a nation that blesses Israel. That's the most important thing. In fact, I would say that everything that we've talked about up to now is a distraction. That the most important thing is what is God doing right now in the earth? And particularly, what's he doing in relationship to Israel? The church has done us a disservice by not focusing on God's primacy about Israel, the people, and the land. Everything that matters to God flows around Israel. And a real, true reading of that word would lead you to believe it. Now, sometimes the church doesn't do that. We've kind of said, oh, it's all about the church. Well, it's not about the church. It's only about Israel. So if we want to see what matters to God, we need to look at Israel. We can open up our pages of our newspapers every day. We can see something's going on with Israel. That's what really, really matters. God says in the end, he's going to divide the sheep and the goats. It's a reference to a division of nations. Sheep and goat nations. It's really not sheep and goat people. It's sheep and goat nations. Which nations are going to stand with Israel? Which nations are not going to stand against Israel? Uh, his word says that I, I will judge the nations that divide my land and scatter, up, scatter my people. So we want to make sure that as believers, we elect leaders who are blessing Israel, who are a blessing to Israel, because that's how our nation is going to be blessed. But I'm really interested more so in the fact that Miss Rona finally caught up with him. This is truly a prayer of my heart. Now, I don't wish death on anybody, especially not a parent, but I wanted him to catch a, a decent cold. I, want, I wanted to hear, I wanted him to feel in his lungs what we've been feeling, the anxiety I got when I found out he won the election and I was under my desk crying. That's what I want him to feel. So I want him to get, I don't, I'm not going to ever wish death on anybody because you know, I not I'm not going to wish that, but do I wish he did that serious case? Yeah. And then the Lord said, you know what? Not only that, Melania, be best, because you can get some of it. <laughs> he said, you know what? I'm not going to stop there, because Kellyanne Conway, Senator Thomas Tillis, Senator Mike Lee, University of Notre Dame President John wow. Jenkins. All y'all can catch this, Rona. He done told me. How, how long, why do we have to say wear the mask? So there's this event last Saturday in the Rose Garden, and I'm looking at the photo, and honestly, I feel bad for Senator Thomas Tillis because he had a mask on. But this is another example of this is a group project. 
They sell one rotten apple spoils the whole bunch. So yeah, you hang out with dogs and catch fleas. I think it's a company you keep because no matter if I'm in a bunch, I ain't catching nothing y'all got if I can protect myself. Listen, I'll be around, but I won't be a part. Shout out to Biden who said he was him. He gonna be playing for the president. And shout out to. Obama and them who said they're going to be paying, praying for the president. Sharika, are we really shouting them out? Because, you know, not all prayers are the prayers that you want. Um, yeah. Sometimes yeah. people say they're going to pray for me and I'm like, or not. You can maybe not. Because <laughs> we don't know what, what is Biden praying exactly. What is Obama praying exactly? So I, I second whatever they praying, I'm seconding it. I'm going to be honest and I'm going to say that I don't think that they caught the Rona. I think that the Rona caught them. I feel like they were secretly doing a Rona challenge. Y'all thought y'all's status in life or y'all's money or the fact that y'all have access to tests so frequently and so like that, none of that matters. When something is airborne and it's of a virus sort, no matter what your status or how many times you can get access to something, you still can catch it because at the end of the day, you're human. Well, that's actually how they deceive their followers. Mm. It's just the whole talk and the boastfulness of, oh yeah, you know, it's a hoax and you know, we're doing good, you know, I'm fine. And it's just like, for now, that okay. everything has a time limit. Just like when Dr. Fauci was saying that, okay, you don't need to wear a mask. At the time, the science was telling them something different to when science said, you need to wear a mask. Okay, you need to wear a mask. It's literally that simple. Not the fact that we're hearing two different messages. Mm -hmm. It's the starting point, there's a middle, and we're far from the end. Welcome back, friends. This is part two of our political forum, and we are honored to be with the one and only Dr. Donald Dixon. And I will warn you guys, he was already dropping golden nuggets before we began. And I got so excited. I had to say, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I got to stop the conversation until we start the recording because Dr. Dixon comes to us with a wealth of knowledge and encouragement and inspiration and just a word on what is going on in America today. Sharika, do you have anything to say to the people as far as where we're at with part two of the forum? We are just excited for you guys to hear, you know, a different side. I was actually talking to one of my friends and she was, and I was just saying, you know, um, some of the feedback that I've been hearing from our first forum was that, you know, it was good to hear that, hear a conversation with Christians on both sides because I felt like I as a Christian you had to be on one side and I was told was telling a friend I'm like that's surprising to me that people feel as Christians you should be you should definitely be on one side or the other and actually I personally as a Christian feel like I can't really be on either side like there's things that I that resonate and make sense to me and I believe that happen on both sides and I don't necessarily feel as though you know I have to be this or I have to be that so um, I'm excited to hear what Dr. Dixon has to say and I'm excited for the people to learn more about him and also for us all to continue to expand our minds on this these topics absolutely I was telling Dr. Dixon about part one of our forum and how we hosted members from Blexit and their goal of helping Black people move from the Democratic Party to wherever. They say that they're nonpartisan, but they're very openly supporters of Trump and the Republican platform. Dr. Dixon, do you want to share what your response was to that? Well, I say the only problem with that premise 
is that there is only one political party that exists in America anymore. What used to be the Republican Party has degenerated into a cult. Mm. And, and, and uh, you know, there are people who are attracted to cults. I don't happen to be one of them. Um, you know, but if you are attracted to a cult that has nothing that even resembles Christian values, have mm. at it. Um, you know, every, I mean, that's the one thing that's really great about America. We have the right to be stupid. It's guaranteed by that's the Constitution. Uh, and so, so if someone is saying to me, I want to rescue Black people from the Democratic Party and transition them to another party other than the Republican Party, I'm willing to listen. Mm. Right? But if you tell me that you want to, to transition me out of the Democratic Party to the Republican Party, I will tell you that I am not very tolerant of idiocy. Now, having said that, one of the, I saw on somebody's car at work, I won't mention who it is, they say that it has a sign on the back of it that says, I think therefore I vote Republican. Mm. And my first response was, that's prima facie evidence that you don't think. Mm. Uh, because if you are a thinker, you vote issues. There you go, Dr. If Dixon. You are an, if you're an ideologue, you vote party. Does mm. that make sense? That makes a whole lot of sense That to makes me. sense, yeah. but can you expand upon that? Well, I vote issues. For example, if I've had, I taught at the university for many years, and I taught policy, social welfare policy, and a lot of my students would say, well, Dr. Dixon, please, Tell us, are you liberal? Are you conservative? Are you moderate? Are, and I'd say, well, first, what's the issue? Because mm. I'm all over the place. Well, first and foremost, I mean, um, prisons were never supposed to be money-making industries. Mm. Okay. They were never intended. Now, it, the pri private prisons started to proliferate again in America in the 1980s. It just so happened at the same time we created this war on drugs that was primarily waged in black and brown communities. Right. There's all kinds of evidence out there that says drug use among the different ethnic groups is lowest among African-Americans than any other ethnic group in America. Mm. Wow. Yeah. In fact, white Americans use drugs at a slightly higher rate than their black and brown um, compatriots. Wow. But but, but if you wage a war exclusively in black and brown communities, you catch black and brown people who are breaking the law. And mm -hmm. what happened was, now, you know, there are a lot of theories behind this, and I love reading theories. I don't know if you've ever read Malcolm Gladwell. Um, he wrote Blank, and he wrote um, uh, a David and Goliath, and he wrote Tipping Point. And I can't remember which one. I think it was in Blink. He actually put forth a theory that was incredibly uh, compelling uh, and controversial. So in the 1980s, what we had predicted that in the 1990s, by the 1990s, well, there was a proliferation of out of wedlock black babies in the 1970s. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, according to Gladwell, the projection was we were going to need a significantly larger number of prison beds by the 1990s. 
And so we got into the business of building these private prisons, expecting that the population of young black males who needed to be um, uh, incarcerated was going to just explode off the chart. Gladwell proposes that that never happened and that never happened, that explosion never happened because Roe v. Wade happened in 1973. Hmm. And a lot of those babies that should have wound up in prison were aborted. Hmm. Now that, you, so, so, but once we had built the prisons, now we had to populate them. So we transitioned right from the 1970s into the 1980s in the drug, the war on drugs. The war on drugs. Mm-hmm. And so much so that we created different sentencing for uh, powder cocaine versus crack cocaine. Yeah. And then, of course, yeah. the private prisons got into the business of promoting themselves because they needed occupancy. Right? Yeah. So they started promoting longer sentences. So in the 1990s, we get the three strikes and you're out kind of thing, where if you got three felonies, regardless of how severe they were, you were sentenced to life in prison. So they, they created not only um, a pipeline for people to occupy their prison cells, but they created a policy that mm-hmm. actually ensured that they would be there for a lot longer period. Yeah. So now the private um, jail system, and by the way, most of it's at the federal level. Most of the private prisons are at the federal level. And that's where most of the people who wind up in prison on drug charges um, uh, uh, matriculate through the the federal system. Um, So so much so that now there are like a $5 billion industry, Hmm. private prisons. You are kidding. No, and they only house about 19 to 20% of all federal prisoners but they have grown into this incredible industry that's going to be, that's going to be extremely difficult to dismantle. Why is it going to be hard to dismantle? Because there's so much money in it. Yeah. Mm. That's why we realized that the war on drugs was a failure by the late Mm -hmm. 1980s, but 90s, but then it had become a $50 billion industry. Mm -hmm. And it it became incredibly difficult to dismantle it. Because people who are making money out of it. They don't want to let that go. No, and they're going to lobby their legislators and Mm -hmm. lobby other uh, policymakers to ensure that we we continue this very lucrative uh, industry. Right. So now you see, I just created a nexus between uh, uh, um, uh, Roe v. Wade abortion and and private Mm -hmm. prisons. Right. Um, Yeah. And so... Go ahead. And I was going to say, and which are all affecting majority people of color. Absolutely. And, and then, and we juxtaposition that to now this time the opioid crisis, which is affecting majority uh, Caucasian people and other people. But that's not viewed as a war on drugs, criminally. Char- it's an uh, opioid crisis. These people need help. These right. people need aid. Um, and and are and 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 it's looked at totally different than as yeah. you were talking about the war on drugs that was affecting majority uh, African American people. Here's how the language changes suddenly around. Mm-hmm. The opioid crisis um, is a, a public health crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, the the crack cocaine was a criminal justice crisis. Mm-hmm. 
Do you understand yep. the difference? Yep. This is not accidental in America. Mm -hmm. you, there are studies that show we start, um, we start branding and labeling boys, black boys, white boys, brown boys at about age four. At about age, yes, at about age four, disproportionately, black boys who act out are considered bad. They're described with words that would paint mm -hmm. them as bad. White boys are described as as mad, which means and they go hyper. into the yeah, and so they go into the mental health system. Black boys go into the juvenile justice system, yep. and brown boys are right behind them. Mm -hmm. So by the time they get to about age thirteen, when they will enter juvenile justice. We have already created a very short hop, jump, and skip to the adult criminal system. Now, there are criticisms that the party that's the most pro-life is also the party that is the biggest advocate of capital punishment. And you touched on that. You talked mm -hmm. about how a lot of times people care about the baby up until it is born. Yeah. Uh, the Biden campaign is pro-choice, but against the death penalty. And Trump's administration is pro-life, but pro-death penalty. Do you believe there's a contradiction there? Absolutely, there's a contradiction. There is a contradiction. Look, uh, I'm very clear about this. See, I, I call these the little white lies we tell to ourselves. Um, I cannot be anti-capital um, uh, punishment and pro-abortion. I can't. That's a, con that's a moral contradiction for me. Okay, and vice versa. I cannot be pro-life and for the death penalty. Mm. A moral contradiction. But we allow each other to lie to each other and tell us <laughs> little white lies as if there is no disconnect. At the very least, we ought to acknowledge I'm not a perfect human being. Mm -hmm. And therefore, one of my flaws is that I believe on both sides of this issue. Mm. Okay, then you need to pray and pray harder that you will find wisdom and, and mm -hmm. maturity in your life to resolve those contradictions. Amen. But don't act like they are. Don't act like there is no disconnect. Mm -hmm. Bottom line is this. America has a problem with weapons. Okay? I don't care what the Second Amendment, basically, you think it said, because I don't think it can guarantee you the right to these weapons. But the fact is, is that we are an incredibly violent society. It doesn't have to be that way. That's the way we've trained our children. You know, Canada has more guns mm, per mm. capita than the U.S. Now, we have more guns overall because we have a much bigger population. But they have more guns per capita than the U.S. And their murder rate is about 5% of ours a year. Wow. See what I mean? So I, I don't know. I think we have to get guns out of our society until we teach our children over a generation or two to respect other people's person and their bodies and their lives and to value human beings. And then you can have guns. I'm not, I'm not one of those advocates for doing away with guns in our society for the purpose of doing away with guns. I grew up with guns. Um, but I also knew that you did not threaten other people with weapons mm. like that. Absolutely. It goes so, down to educating the whole person, which right. is what we talked about before. And, and in Canada, they have very strict uh, regulations on guns. They, do, they constantly yeah. do checks on 
criminal records, like not just one time, not just when you get the, I believe it's yeah. like monthly or something. And they have a rec, they're very uh, strict with their record of right. holds guns. And, and if you are found, something does happen, they will come to you, to your door to, you know, yeah. address that situation and collect your guns if need yeah. be. Now let's talk about the little white lie that we tell each other about, about guns. Every time you have a mass shooting, the first thing that our um, politicians who don't want to do anything about guns in our society say is, well, we've got to fund more mental health. As if you have to be crazy to kill other people. Dylan Roof wasn't crazy. He shot nine people in the church in, in, uh, in, uh, in North Carolina. He wasn't crazy. The man who shot those 58 people and killed them from that hotel room in Las Vegas wasn't crazy. That kid that, that killed all those people, those other kids at uh, Marjorie Stoneham Douglas, wasn't crazy. The kid had emotional issues. There's a difference. But the, every time we, we, we default to, well, we've got to fund mental health. And then, of course, when the situation dies down, we don't fund mental health. Telling people about uh, the fact that I, at 13 years old, I, I learned about deoxyribonucleic acid. <laughs> and I thought, this is interesting. <laughs> you know what I mean? I got to find out more about deoxyribonucleic acid. So I went, went off to the library and, and walked in and realized that it was segregated and I was not allowed to be in there. But I got the librarian to hand me books out the back door on DNA. Mm. See, that was, that was pretty cool back then. I mean, now everybody talks about DNA. But, but that was my introduction, my introduction at about 13 years of age. And so I just did a private study on what this, the implications were. There is no substitute for that kind of stuff, I think. And if we can make it interesting and exciting for our kids, you know, rather than work. Hmm. Yeah. We can certainly do that. We have three more questions. So thank you for okay. right. And I'm like, I'm taking notes on everything you're saying. It's great. Okay. Uh, yeah. You're talking about kids. And when I think about kids, I do think about this issue of immigration. When we talk about the dreamers yeah. and so many other kids that I even work right. with who were mm. faced with this issue. So the debate around this includes the civil rights of immigrant populations and hundreds of right. billions of dollars brought into the gross domestic product by immigrants and the contribution right. and the surge of unaccompanied minors. Are there any policies or legislation that speak to your opinions about what's best for America's immigration challenges? Well, I mean, where we are now in our immigration challenges, we've been here before, okay? We, mm -hmm. we, there is a Chinese Exclusion Act and the Japanese Exclusion Act um, of 1924. And, um, and basically, we, we thought we had too many Asians, too many Chinese in America, and that they were going to corrupt our culture. Um, we've been here before. This is ugly, it's nasty, but the fact is, America is not America unless we have immigration, mm -hmm. right? Now, here's mm -hmm. what's problematic. And I always ask, I used to ask my students. So let's say that that 5.5 million Mexicans who are part of that 11 million illegal immigrants, let's say they were from Sweden. Would we be having this conversation? 
Not at all. You see, you see, so that's another veiled racist attempt to hide behind a title called immigration. The fact is, is that America is a land of immigrants. We know that the strength of America that separates us from some other totalitarian countries that limited immigration is that we've always taken people. You know, and when we get our craziest, we don't want to take people in who have skin color that looks like yours or looks like mine or has have slanted eyes, you mm. know. Um, um, and there is no accident that in at the start of World War II, the largest populations in America were Italians, Germans, and Japanese. Of the countries that were at war with us, right? And we chose to intern the Japanese. Why? Mm because they were not white and they were held to greater suspicion. You think that's accidental? So our immigration policies have been just totally bastardized in the interest of racism and, and uh, ethnocentrism. We're better than that, you know? We're, we're better than that. Um, but sometimes we think to our lowest common denominator, and I say we do that in order to get better. Hmm. I think we, where we are now, we have to have gone. We had to go here. Um, I, I met up with a guy I went to University of Florida with almost 50 years ago now. And uh, he said, Dixon, you know something you were predicting? You predicted Trump and you predicted this whole white nationalism 50 years ago. Really? Yeah. And I, and I said, oh, man, his name was Paul. I go, Paul, are you crazy? He said, yeah, I remember, man. You used to talk about it all the time. I said, oh, yeah, I remember that, too. And he said, you used to go around quoting Frederick Douglass, you know, power concedes nothing without a struggle, never has, never will. And, um, and, uh, <laughs> and but, but you know what I was doing? All those years ago at the University of Florida, I was looking at the changing demographics mm. and all of the projections that by 2040, 2050, America would be majority minority. Mm. Yeah. And I didn't think that white Americans would ever give up their privilege without a fight. And right now, we're on the outer edges of it. It hasn't gotten as bad as it's going to get. Do you really feel like it's going to get worse? Yes. Because I mean, I'm talking about a bloody struggle. I'm well, praying every day that it doesn't come to that. But um, these militia men walking around in Michigan, going to the governor's mansion, demanding that the governor show up and everything without any consequence. You know what I mean? And, yeah, that did happen. Yeah, and I tell you, when people say, well, it's not all law enforcement officers that are bad, it's just a few bad apples, not true. <laughs> not true. It's systemic, it's institutionalized, and here's how it goes. There are people, there are white people who want to kill black people, who figured out the perfect way to do it, and that has become part of law enforcement. And you can do it without any type of legal sanction. That's a, that's a group in, within law enforcement. It's not the largest group, 
the largest mm -hmm. group of the people who know that it's wrong and don't stand say by and say nothing. Mm -hmm. That's the majority of Germans in Nazi Germany. See, a lot of people, contrary to popular belief, believe that most, most Germans were part of the Nazi party, never was. That wasn't true, but they stayed silent. And then there's another smaller group who know that it's wrong and who are trying to fight it inside police department, law enforcement offices, but they are being silenced mm -hmm. and they run the risk of undermining their career advancement. Yeah, and or, or threatening their own lives or, you know. Right, right. So this is not just a few bad apples kind of thing. And with, and with the whole immigration thing, this is not just a few bad apples. Look, I mean, the fact is, is that Trump, regardless of the fact that he will not denounce white supremacy, still enjoys a 40% um, support among Americans. Do you know what that means? Mm -hmm. Well, that's if, because, and we addressed this last week, the panel read us um, a quote from him where he did denounce white supremacy, but I'm confused because in the most recent debate, when they asked him to do it again, he said he could, but then he didn't. So yeah, the fact I, is, is that for political advantage, he came back days later and said, well, I denounced him. Mm -hmm. he, didn't denounce, he didn't denounce him in Charlottesville. Maybe um, you got something to say? No, but that's what I was saying. Is, um, when I had spoke with, when we spoke with the, I guess the individuals from Blexit, I said in that moment, the day after he did not denounce it, it was in a sit-down interview three or four days later where he shed light, and now with that full transcript. So that's why I had recommended for our young professionals to go look at both instances when he spoke after Charlottesville, and not just in the sit-down interview. In a sit-down interview, a person can do a lot of things. Right, because your team preps you on those type of situations. This is my opinion. I don't sit on his team. I'm not on his staff. I'm not in his cabinet. But similar to the debate that we saw in that moment when former Vice President Joe Biden asked him to denounce it, he chose not to. And he found a way to say other things. One of the ones that basically went trending, where he told his proud boys to stand back and stand mm -hmm. by which that uh -huh. would be a plethora of things of individuals of just like, hey, Let's wait our turn. No, not yet. Um, then they had other people who have basically come to his defense and say, well, he said it before. Does he have to say it every time? And I would be yes. a citizen of this country and say, absolutely. Like, it's not even a question. Every time I feel like it's asked, you don't go, you don't reference and say, well, I, I said it that time. No, like you have to say, it, I feel every time. So you're, the, I guess the individuals who follow your leading um, is adamant on where you stand on those type of issues. See, I agree. Okay, so and 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 the thing we have to do here's what here's my basic um, um, motto: If a person shows you who they are, believe them. And my faith are not dependent on any governmental structure. Mm. You, you see what I mean? Yes, and I so, do. Yeah, and so we create these. I always say, you know. There's an issue in the middle of every issue and everything around it is just noise. And we make all kinds of noise, you know what I mean? Trying to distract from the central issue. And in America, do I have the right to pray and worship as I choose? And the answer is absolutely unequivocally. Mm -hmm. Right? Be more there. Now, yeah, now do, do I want to 
I want to insert my religious beliefs on my governmental institutions, not necessarily. Mm -hmm. Well, the U.S. responsibility is to promote, promote peace around the world. Mm -hmm. Israel just happens to be in the world and part of the Holy Land. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's different now from unequivocally supporting Israel's policies across the board because some of Israel's policies are not conducive to creating peace, mm. right? So remember I talked about um, uh, learned people, you know, thinking people support issues, not mm -hmm. parties. Yes. Well, there are some outstanding things about Israel and there are some things about Israel that are not too good as it relates to their relationship in the treatment of Arabs. Mm. You can be supportive of Israel as a nation and criticize some of their policies. Same thing. Okay. The, 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 the thing I don't want anybody to ever be confused about is I'm an American. I'm an American first. I'm an American of African descent. See, I don't even go around referring to myself as African American. I'm an American of African descent, mm. which means I'm American first. I love my country, but my country ain't fair my, in some cases, and my country ain't perfect in some mm -hmm. cases, and my country needs to be called out when it's engaging in inappropriate, deadly um, uh, behavior, right? 100%. So, yeah. Yay! Thank you so much <laughs> for being with us. I know a lot of our young professionals have felt torn because they've been told things like, oh, if you don't vote this way, then there's no way you're a Christian or you're this or that. And I think you've done a very good job dismantling that narrative yeah. and yeah. encouraging them to look at issues from different sides and gain that knowledge so that they can speak intelligently about things yeah. and contribute to society in a really healthy way. So I'm floored. You have me wanting to study and read things. So I just love it. Thank you so much for being with us. And if I said anything to hurt somebody's feelings, tough. Evie, you got nieces and nephews. Are they out there doing anything? As of right now, I have not heard them canceling anything. Football games are in full effect on Friday nights and people are there. Like I'm talking wow. about up on top of each other. Some wear masks, some not. Things are back in session. Wow. You think they're going to have these homecoming dances and stuff? With, how are you going to keep the kids socially distanced at a dance? I would be shocked if they don't. Really? I'm saying that on behalf of them encouraging, at least in the state of Florida, to force kids to go back to school. Like, of course, some kids have the privilege to do hybrid or to stay home. But then, you think they're going to really be dancing? They play football. What's oh, the wow. You letting them touch and tackle each other. My oh, mother can touch and dance with each other. I don't know why I'm getting anxiety. I don't even have kids. So I don't know why I'm getting anxious. But the idea is sending a chill. I can't even imagine. I want to ask y'all, how was y'all's high school experience? Were you in clubs? Did you like high school? Did you hate it? Were you popular? Were you not? What are the things? I'm trying to think back. I had such a great high school experience. And That's I could say that I was popular because I was from such a small town. So I'm trying to think, define popular. Was I on a varsity cheerleading team since ninth grade? Yes. Was I also in soccer? All, the whole, also all four years? Sports? Yes. Did I also do marching band and I was section leader? Yes. Was I also in the musicals? Always had a lead role? Yes. But I say all those things because 
I didn't have a choice. Like my mom was like, you will not come home after school. So you better figure it out. In the mornings, I was in first priority. It was like a group of us that would come together and pray in the morning. So like probably from middle school, oh, even in elementary school, my mom was just like, you're going to find the things to do because we're from the hood and you're not going to be running these streets. Yeah, I had a whole friend. I'm going to say friends with quotation mark. Uh, a friend group that I kind of had grown up with from fourth grade that I was trying to disassociate myself from because they were just, you know how you see mean girls and stuff on TV or not even mm-hmm. mean girls, frenemies. So they mm-hmm. were just one subset of, like I told you, I hung out with ev- all the groups, you know, not all the groups hung out with each other, but I was in all the groups and they were just like, oh, how come you don't get a perm? People used to yell at me, get a perm when I was cheering. I'm not kidding. No. My mom wasn't about the creamy crack life. And I would have two puffs or one of my natural hair. And they were just the friends. And I'm talking about some African-American friends that I had that all had perms and are really light skin and da 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 And they just were mean to me. But now that I'm an adult, they've been trying to be friends with me. And I'm like, remember like (laughs) and I saw one actually recently and it was such an awkward experience because she was like in high school like you told me that you don't want to be friends with me anymore and you said that we were just frenemies and you wanted an authentic relationship and you didn't care to be friends with us and that whole little crew and that crew was a crew that my brother was claiming people as his sister but not me and I honestly couldn't remember saying that but I didn't deny it because it sounded about right (laughs) <laughs> it sounds like something I would do today. I can't imagine me doing that in high school because I just didn't care enough to. I think at a young age, I could just see situations and people for who they were. And I never mm-hmm. cared about my image or being cool with the, like being in the cool crowd or whatever. I just didn't care. Like I was, somebody was talking about name brand shoes. Maybe it was us at lunch the other day. And my mom wasn't on that either. Like I had the cookies from Walmart and I was just so used to being teased by that, but also seeing that it didn't matter. Like I was mm. in the library, I was on the, the book club and I just had a really rich and fun life. And I was like, I don't care that I don't have Nikes, you know, like mm. it, it's not impacting my actual health or well being. So I actually really appreciate my parents for raising me in a way. And there's nothing wrong with liking nice things, but letting me understand how fulfilling life can be without that because now I don't need that in my life you know okay I'll say one more funny story from high school and it's about me and AJ we were in show choir together and you would have to like sing songs in class solos or duet for a grade so we decided to do a duet in French to a whole new world you guys it was the hottest of mess I brought in a little carpet that we laid on the floor. We both sat in it. Like he sat behind me. I sat in front of him. Here's the problem when you're trying to sing in a different language and you don't like, we know we didn't outside of said Reverend Blur and E.B. who speaks script is probably telling my accents all wrong. We didn't even know what was next. At one point, AJ just decided I'm done. I don't have the grade. I got all 100s. So he just dropped out. So I'm trying to sing Jasmine. And uh, Aladdin, is that his name? It was so Aladdin. bad. It was Aladdin. so bad. And I still, my stomach drops when I think about that moment in choir when we're singing. And it's just me like, Sarada. <laughs> and I'm just like, we're like moving like this. Imagine that for three minutes. 
<laughs> so that's all I have to say about high school. I'll let my friends speak for my behalf at a later episode. Evie, oh, you're wow. up. It was definitely the carpet for me on that one. Yeah, I don't know if it was a carpet or if it was the French, but it was one of them. Might have been both. <laughs> that would be one of those clips that, yeah, we, we can bring that up. We need that. I need that in my life. My popularity mostly came from, I would say, probably my older siblings. I'm the last of 13, so my older brothers had way more clout. Um, and some of them still do to this day than I do. Like I would go into classrooms freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, or senior year, and a teacher would be like, oh, another Brafil? I hope you're nothing like your brother. And I'd be like, what you trying to say? Because of course my brother's not coming home and saying all the trouble that they got into. So I'm thinking my brothers are, are good people. Like it's good people on both sides, as some people <laughs> would say. <laughs> so it, it was those type of moments, but I made good grades, play sports, Try to be involved in every club you can think of, FCA, FBLA, French club, Spanish club. Don't even speak Spanish, but I was just part of it. Part of the basketball team. Like I mentioned, hung around the football guys because some of them was either family or homies that I grew up with. Kicked it with the girls team because sports people typically hang out with each other. And then some of my family members, or I would say close friends for others, they did other extracurricular activities on campus. And that made them cool. Some of them were illegal activities. And I just happened to be around them because this is my blood. And people just thought I engaged in those same activities. And I was just like, no, I don't. I'm just around my cousin because that's my cousin. Also, I won't go too much into everything. But one of the things that was interesting about our school that made some people, I don't necessarily say become cool, but you started to notice people a little more. My senior year, we didn't have a cafeteria. Our cafeteria was being broken down and, well, it got demolished the summer of our going into our senior year. And we were told that we would have a brand new cafeteria by December. When December came, guess what? Cafeteria wasn't done. You know when it got done? It got done the next summer. So you know what we did for lunch for a whole school year? And this is going to be something that's going to be interesting when we come back to this at a later date, probably sometime next year when we have one of the guests, because I'm going to love their perspective on this same situation. But we just had cold cut sandwiches every day. We had those, you know, the purple bag of jammers, peanut butter jelly, had those uh, every day. Not the jammers. You know, the, not the jammers. <laughs> you know, the um, the little ripoff, you, you, you got to bite the corner of the orange patches. Uh, orange juice, yeah. apple juice. We had those every day. Didn't even have strawberry milk. They looked at you and said, white or chocolate. And this is all outdoors that you're picking up your lunch, right? Oh, in Florida? In Florida. Like we just, I would say also this senior year, which made it good though. Um, everybody had lunch together. Before that freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, we had A through D lunch. So A lunch, B lunch, C lunch, mm. D lunch. So you would probably go maneuver through, hey, I got to use the bathroom just to go to whatever the cool lunch was where most of the people mm. were at. But the senior year, everybody had, my senior year, everybody had lunch at like 12, 1230. And you went home for the day. You just grab your bag lunch and you was out for the day. And also in between first and second period, our school decided to give everybody a 15 minute break. And during that 15 minute break, all types of stuff happened. Oh, people got beat up during those instances. People got arrested during those instances. Hey. People got tased by a school resource officer who was hey. also a head basketball coach during these instances. You saw hey. people dropped off of school. <laughs> you saw us ordering pizza at nine o'clock in the morning because Domino's knew we didn't have a cafeteria. So they was bringing food at all types of times of the hour. This is what people skip school at. Cause it's just like, we out for the day. I'm tired of this. Hey. So Wait, people no, I'm in your school, Eastside High from Lean On Me. I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> 
I would say our our basketball coach, who was also the school resource officer, he was definitely like a Joe Clark. Like he used to come through school, like oh, because you know Tasers hasn't always been here. For those of you, especially our young professionals, our young listeners, Tasers have not always been a thing. It used to be a a, a jack stab or a, a baton for officers in their gun. So when Tasers came out, I'm not gonna get my age, but sometime in the 2000s, he got it and he just said, "I hope one of you." And he said some explicitives and he said, I wish y'all would act up today. I just got this taser and I'm ready to use it. Really? All they told me, if I deploy the taser, I just have to write a report. I can write a report all day on you. And he said some more words and he would say other stuff like, I'm 6'5", I weigh 380 pounds, my hands the size of watermelons. Just imagine what I would do to you. Um, oh yeah, he was a big guy. He still is a big guy because I still see him around. Shout out to Coach Grant. Um, or he would tell people like, Ask your mama and daddy what I used to do to them in high school. I beat them up. I beat you up like I used to beat them up. One of his nicknames is Big Nasty because that's just the way he treated people. At the time, I call it he was just joking and he was our coach. But now, as I get older and I become more wiser, he was a bully. He was a, a, a big bully and there's no way around it. He would literally tell people, <laughs> like, you just look at kids. Like kids, and I'm talking about this, a grown man who was a police officer. And no, something that happened, somebody get beat up or something. You know, like, what you crying for? You soft at the hospital, kind that boy ain't even do nothing to you. He said that was the softest punch I ever seen. And I'm just saying, like, what's going on right now? You need to get uh, him, EB. You have connections. I want him on the pod. <laughs> oh, I can definitely get him on there. He'd definitely still be on Facebook causing wow. problems. Shout out to Coach Grant. Don Grant, if you want to go look for him on Facebook, he'll probably be a mutual friend of mine's and one of the, oh, no. I would say the best Don't basketball coaches out like that. Definitely influential in my life and also taught me a lot of do's and don'ts in this world. And I say influential as in not necessarily like that's my mentor, but influential of like, you influenced me not to be that way. <laughs> but I love my guy. I love him because I love all people. I went to three different high schools, first of all. Oh man, that's trash. My first high school, which was like your quintessential high school, I guess. I lived in Upper Marlboro, Maryland at the time, but it was a predominantly black school. My parents, I mean, we, I would just consider us middle-class, but we did have name brand things. Mainly in where I grew up, shoes was a thing. Like if you, I mean, I might not have had the Jordans. I didn't really have that, but I had some new balances or Nikes or whatever. In ninth grade, I was in band. I was in marching band. I played the trumpet. We were like high step in marching band, not no walking. We had 90 degree knees. It was a thing. It was not planned. We had the knees up there. So I did that ninth grade. I don't really think I did anything else. We had a little prayer group that used to meet in the mornings. I don't think I committed to that too much. My mom and dad, I won't say they were late for me every day, but I felt like it stood out when they were late. So maybe they weren't late often, but they were late on occasions. My mom was a school teacher as well. I went to second high school on my sophomore year because they opened up a brand new high school. And my parents gave me the choice. They said, do you want to go back to your old school? Do you want to go to the new school? I said, I'll go to the new school. So I went to the new school. Still was in marching band. I wasn't popular in any of the grades. I had friends, but I really didn't consider my school friends real friends. They were acquaintances. My real friends were at church because I was a church girl. I went to church. My friends was at church. My acquaintances were at school, which they were cool. I will say in that 10th grade, I bought this watch on QVC. It was a Powderpuff Girls green watch with a green girl. I can't even remember her name. I don't know where I got the money from, but I bought it out of my own money. But it was Blossom and sorry. I don't don't know which one it was. And the one one that you like is the one you don't. Anyway, I had this watch and she was semi-bully. 
I don't know if she's popular. She asked to use my watch. I never seen that watch again, and I was pissed. But I, I just let that go. I don't know why. Other than that, um, then my junior year, my parents moved to Georgia, so we had a. So I went to a different school my junior and senior year. I went to private school. This was the first time that my brother and I went to school together because my brother and I had never been to school together. He was in a magnet school that took him from kindergarten to eighth grade. So we, this is our first time going to school. Of course, my brother was way popular than me, but he was on varsity basketball, you know, soft junior, soft, I mean, freshman and sophomore year. I did not go to band. I did band freshman and sophomore year. I did not do band in junior. Still wasn't popular. I didn't really get invited to no parties. I think they was out there doing all the things. I wasn't invited and I really didn't care. I think I was on the yearbook. I will admit here that in my math class, I was doing terrible in school towards the end. My mom was like, are you even going to graduate? And I was like, I hope so. And then here's what I'll admit. So we were in math class. I wouldn't be doing the work. And someone had like the answer book. And we would just pass the answer book around and just do our, fill out our little homework, cheating. It was terrible. High school was all right. I'd never felt bullied or picked on or anything other than that girl that stole my watch. But besides that, I don't think I could have been bullied because I like to fight on the inside. I told you about the eighth grade fight and the fourth grade fight, but I never had a fight in high school. I would have fought somebody if they tried me. I really didn't have a lot of great and memorable experiences. Not, oh, I was on the soccer team junior and senior year. And I think out of the whole time, I made three goals. And that was the extent. I was a fullback because midfield, too much running. And I didn't have a coordination to be a scorer. So I was in the back trying to defend and support the goalie. And I had fun. I hated the running on the laps, but I liked being a part of a team and that was cool. One time my brother, like I said, was on the basketball team and one time he was playing and somebody knocked him. Like, I guess they were jumping up or whatever. And anyway, he fell down and like was just laying there on the ground. And I literally was fitting to come out the stands and fight somebody for like knocking down my brother. My friends had to hold me back. I was on the verge of tears. I'm like, what's going on here? My brother's laid out on the ground and just not moving. And I'm like, uh, uh-uh, I can't. And then my friends was like, calm down, calm down. I was like, no, he got my brother down. So we went to Myrtle Beach from somewhere down in Florida for spring break. And they was doing all the things. People were getting nipple piercings. People were getting tattoos. I was 17 when I graduated high school. So I couldn't really do things. And we had like chaperones. And this, like I said, is private school. And you know, they'd be the worst ones. They was out there drinking all the things. Mom, don't don't judge me. I think I got peer pressured into I think a shot or something. I don't know. I couldn't do any of the things. I didn't want to drink, but I think I took a shot. Probably. I don't know. Mom, I hope you're not listening to this. Anyway, besides that was probably the worst thing I did in high school. And then they wanted to some party or something. And I just remember staying in a truck waiting it out because I couldn't get in. I wasn't 18. So I wasn't really allowed to do many of the things. And we had the chaperones. Where were the chaperones? People were in other people's rooms. I didn't do any of the things though, but they were doing all the other things that goes on when young people are together unsupervised in hotels. It was terrible. All I did was possibly one shot and that was it. And I did go to the tattoo place when they were getting the tattoos and the piercings and I did not partake because I was I valued my life and my parents was not about that. And I didn't play, they didn't play no games and I wasn't playing no games either. I just came and watched as one of my good friends got her nipples pierced and then her boyfriend got his nipples pierced and another guy got his nipples pierced and it was all the things. So So basically the moral to the story is people don't go to the private school that Sharika went to. 
because you will leave with all type of piercings and all types of places, and you will be doing all the things that you shouldn't be doing At as a person who's underage. And Christian, I can confess more than I needed to, but I'm about to confess something else. So I pray this person does not listen or anybody that knows this person. I won't even say their name. So hopefully, I, I was just about to say, don't say their name. Don't say their name. <laughs> but if the person or listens or anyone in their family, they would know. So I went to prom junior, senior year. This is the trash part. They don't do dance in there as if dancing was the worst thing we had to worry about there. Anyway, there was no dancing. I went with friends both times. I went with a good friend, the junior, senior with a guy. He was a friend too, but I really didn't want to go with him. But I didn't have anyone to go with. And everybody was like, just ask him, just ask him. I was like, fine, I'll ask him. So senior year, I wanted to have a dress made. And there was this lady at my church who made dresses. So she was like, oh, I would love to make your prom dress. So she made this dress. We went did fittings back and forth, all this stuff. So it's like probably maybe the week or so before prom. So she gives me the dress and the dress is not no bueno no bueno the dress is terrible i knew it was terrible when my mom was like oh no you can't because my mom would it was nice my mom would be like girl you wearing that dress my mom was like Mm-mm, we can't do this so the day of my prom my mom picks me up early from school and we go and buy another dress which that was also trash too it's like who wants a last minute dress at prom i wish i could have got something better than the last minute dress that i ended up getting it was fine but it was an old that dress was, I was going to say it was an old lady dress. It was okay, but to the point when I just didn't even want to wear it anymore, my mom ended up wearing that dress. So that tells you how excited the last minute prom dress was. Anyway, so we get this last minute dress I go. Like after that for weeks at church, every time this lady saw me, I was like, I want to see the pictures. I want to see the dress. I want to see. And girl, there was no pictures. There was no dress. We should have been smart enough to took some pictures at home in the dress. I never did it. Never, and we just kept dodging that lady every Sunday. Me and my mom were dodging her because we I never wore the dress. I never wore the dress. Pride. And I felt so bad. I know. <laughs> I know, I know. But the dress was not, it was not good. I it was not similar good. to eat. I wish I had taken more advantage of all the resources and educational opportunities that exist for high school students. Even back then, like now, my youngest brother went to a school where you're in high school for five years, but when you graduate, you have your AA. We didn't have that, but we had dual enrollment. And instead of that, I did AP classes, which, you know, with AP, you take the test. And if you get a, I think it's like a one or whatever, it's like one to five, you get a, then you get a certain amount of college credits, but dual enrollment period, it's just like a class. <laughs> and if you pass, you, I think you needed an ARB to get the college credit. And I absolutely could have done that. And I had friends who did that, but I just wasn't on it. So I wish I had taken more advantage of things like that. Even when it comes to applying to college senior year, I was just not focused on the right things. Like academically, I never struggled. But as far as applying, I applied to one school, Asbury University, because in my church, that's just what they were on. And I was on the church girl stuff. And they were like, this is the best school for the career that you want. When you grow up, you need to go here. So I applied there. I got in. And then that was just what I was going to do. I didn't visit any college tour or anything like that. And my mom, she went to an HBCU, shout out to Shaw University. And I just wish I had explored all the options. And I was kind of snooty. Like I was like, I'm not going to college in North Carolina. And North Carolina has amazing colleges. And guess what? 
I was humbled real quick because when I went to Kentucky, I ran it right back two years later. And I was more than happy to go to the school that I didn't even want to apply to senior year because I was like, ECU, ew, that's a party school. I literally remember telling my friends I worked too hard to go to ECU. And where did I graduate from? And where did I have the time of my life? ECU. <laughs> I love, y'all don't like candy corn? I love candy corn. Candy is corn. It's part of the season, so I do partake, but I don't like it. I like it. My mom hates candy corn. It's like, yes, it's part of the season. I love a candy corn. It's not in my top five, but I do love a candy corn. So, Brand, do you have your top five? <laughs> of course, I do. I hope you all the wrestling of the papers. Yes. I'm going to go from the bottom. First, I'll do my honorable mention is a Kit Kat bar. Because I mm-hmm. love it, it's tasty, but I'm not like fighting for it. You know what I'm saying? But I got to mm-hmm. mention that. Peanut M&Ms are in there. Love M&Ms, love nuts. So that's in there. Starburst. Yeah. Love Starburst. But the pink or the red? Don't come at me with the pink, yellow. number one. Don't yes. come at me with the orange. That's rude. Yes. And I'll just trade. <laughs> Did y'all trade, by the way, Halloween candies at school? We were definitely trading. Yes, and that's why you get the nasty one, because you can kind of add your, your <laughs> trays with some of the nasty ones. But it looks like you're giving a lot, but it's really the ones you don't want. So that's the advantage of taking some of the nasty ones. There you go. you might throw one good one in there, but you also add it with the nasty ones. There you go. Number three, Reese's Pieces. I love the way it just melts in my mouth. Back in the day, now that I'm old, I can't eat any of these. It's like way too sweet. I can take like one bite and I'm done. At number two, Babe Ruth. Did, do y'all remember Babe Ruth? Babe Ruth? Yes. Ew, my dad likes a Babe Ruth. Oh, though. That's so the only person crazy. I knew that liked Babe Ruth. Or my dad. Yeah. I love watching my college too, but I never got them on Halloween. And number one is the Snickers. I always, if I got the Snickers, that was gold. That was everything. But like I said, my dad would always check our candy, quote unquote. And then we'd just be like without as much of the chocolate. So Mm -hmm. So those are mine. Sharika, what are yours? So I got two honorable mentions. Mine would be Starburst and Reese's. And I like Reese's, but mainly like it's not one I would normally pick, but at Halloween, I like a Reese's and even a little pumpkin one, but I like the regular one too. So Starburst and Reese's are my two honorable mentions. And the other one are in no particular order. I like the little mint snack size Butterfinger is just good to me at Halloween. Like the little one as, as much as I need. Evie mentioned Sour Patch Kids. I like the little baggy of the Sour Patch Kids at Halloween. The little one, I don't need the big bag. No, a little one is good. Have you ever had the caramel apple lollipop green apple lollipop with caramel on the top i only be seeing that at halloween i love that little lollipop you oh think? you're right yes i only see it at halloween you're right it's yes. good it is good so i love that little green caramel apple lollipop and then also twix and of course, number one is the Snickers. And that I will take in a full size as well as snack size and the mini size, all the sizes of the Snickers. I love the Snickers. And I want to say shout out to Paula White for calling them angels from Africa because they came through for Joe and Joe and Kamala. You yeah. thought they was coming for Trump to get Trump into that office with them angels from Africa, Africa, Africa came in. So for those of you who don't know, Paula White is the current president's spiritual advisor, and she was leading this impassioned 
prayer service for his re-election. Let's throw that clip in. I hear a sound of shouting and singing. I hear a sound of victory. I hear a sound of an abundance of rain. I hear a sound of victory. The Lord says it is done. For I hear victory, 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 victory. For angels are being released right now. Angels are being dispatched right now. Hamanda ata ata rata te de baka sanda ata ambo osa tata rite eke banda ata rite tidiasha for angels have even been dispatched from Africa right now. Africa right now. Africa right now. From Africa right now. They're coming here. They're coming My here. Question is, why does it have to be from Africa? Why can't she call on the Australian angels? Why can't she call she on, on the right ones? I know that. English angel. All right, I'll get down off my little soapbox for now. I'm never getting down off of my soapbox. I just did it so y'all could talk. I didn't want to oh, monopolize. That's fine. <laughs> I'm just, how can you call yourself a patriot? And I would consider myself a patriot. I love this country. It is so clear how he's like attempting to rip our country to pieces with these allegations that we can't trust this process and even the things he's done in the White mm. House. Every time someone doesn't mm. agree with him, they just get fired. You sound like a dictator. <laughs> how is it so clear to me and not clear to people who should be wise beyond their years? People only, as much as they pretend that they care about other people, they really only care about their own interests. The person E.B. referred to earlier talking about people, if you guys put the same energy into actually reading your Bible and actually being on the street and actually caring about people, we could change, we could have somebody like President Trump in office and still just be changing the world for good and bringing hundreds of thousands to people to Jesus every day. But we don't want to do that. We want to be on Facebook defending Confederate monuments and flags. Make it make sense, America. We can't make it make sense because it doesn't make sense. Listen, we try to have people on of other beliefs, not in faith-wise, but, you know, in for Trump and whatnot. And we try to let them help us understand something that we didn't, and I did not. I still don't get it. I still just really don't get it. I can absolutely understand why people voted for and support him. And honestly, everyone has their right. If there's nothing else the three of us would die for, it is Jesus Christ. That is the one thing I would die for. And I think some people truly believe in their heart they believe what that billboard said, that only God and Donald Trump can save this country. And it breaks my heart because it's so misguided. God mm -hmm. doesn't need anyone. He doesn't mm -hmm. need anyone. And if you're putting that much hope and faith in him, wow, we're in big trouble. So yes. I can see where they're coming from. And everyone has a reason. Some is finances. Because we're yeah. talking as Christians. There are people who are not Christians who right. feel just as strong about Biden and Trump, whatever. It's one thing to feel the way you feel about that. But then to equate it with your faith and other people's faith, that yeah. is dangerous. Yeah. And I will say this because she said it, Grace said when we were having our open forum, she said, you know, Donald Trump is really separating the wheat from the shaft and he's really showing who's a Christian and who's not. And I consider Grace an acquaintance and I had to stop her passionately in her tracks at that statement. I couldn't disagree more. Donald Trump is not the word that sharpens, you know what I'm saying? That, mm -hmm. uh, what does it say about God's word is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word, not Donald Trump, who when asked to recite a scripture, couldn't even recite one. The Holy Spirit does that, mm -hmm. sister, not Donald mm -hmm. Trump.
Mm-hmm. So that is a, that is the craziness. And if we're going on to, I guess the hot topic that we're discussing today is this whole idea of if he's going to concede or not. He said he did. we know him to be a liar. The numbers have shown that Biden has gotten more votes. And once again, I'm like Edie, I honestly don't feel strongly about Trump or Biden, but I do no. feel strong, strongly about ridiculousness. Yeah. Absolutely. And and facts. I do feel strongly about that. So when you have someone who's literally just saying things like I won by a lot mm-hmm. and it getting retweeted by millions. So you are going to continue to hype up and just cause people to pour into these lives to millions of Americans. And you say you love this country. So we're only cheated once. So when you won this, the same thing didn't work in your favor. Are we going back to the movie theaters or is that dead? Are we done with the movie theaters or not? Yeah, I like, like we weren't there even once a month, but I miss going into that space with the big screen surround sound. Like I love that experience to the point I was considering going to a drive-in theater for a date night. I chose something else. But yeah, I like that. And when it's safe again, I don't mind going back. Girl, they got reclining seats. Come on now. I know. Okay, so I've always wanted to do drive-in theater. I've never been to a drive-in movie theater. That's one thing I've always wanted to do. I always felt uncomfortable about the seats anyway at the movie theaters. Reclining, I felt a little bit better when they were the leather ones. Because I feel like, okay, maybe they could wipe these down. Some of those cloth ones made me always feel uncomfortable. And I hate it. I know this is a woman thing. I never like going to the movie theaters with a skirt on. I just always felt like the seat was, I don't know. I don't know why. I I just don't. I have not had any questionable moment. Thinking about germs in general, like I used to go to the gas station, pump gas, get a bag of chips, not think anything about it. I will never do that again. I can't Mm -hmm. believe I ever did that. So just thinking about germs in general, I will have like a heightened awareness Mm -hmm. of it from this point forward. But I never went to the movie theaters like, oh, can't wear a skirt. I don't know. I really don't know. Can't tell you what it is. I think because sometimes you come in there, there's popcorn all over the floor. These people didn't even clean up. It just be looking a mess. I don't no, I just don't like it. Where are you going to the movies? Because it'd be dark in there, so you don't even really get a good look around at the surroundings, so you don't know what questionable things are in there. Me and the wifey, we enjoy going to movies. It's similar to Sabrina, like, it definitely wasn't there every month. It really had to be like a solid movie, whether it be a Marvel movie or even sometimes like an Easter Ray movie, like movies where you gravitate towards either director or the producer or even the actors of just like, I would pay to go see that. Like, I don't want to wait for this to come out in theaters. Mm-hmm. So like, let me go ahead and get this out of the way now. But I've always, I don't say always, well, yeah, I think for myself, I always kind of had a heightened sense of presence of where I'm at. Like growing up, whether it was high school or early adulthood, it was who going to pop off? Like, what, what fight going to break out? Like, what's mm. going on? Because movies just were known for those type of things. And then, of course, which we've kind of been blessed. I know a lot of people just don't see the blessings in certain things, like with COVID. But we haven't really heard too much about mass shootings, right? But I remember mm. going to movies, and my first thoughts used to be, if somebody comes in shooting from this way, where am I running? Yeah. Like, do I duck down? Like, we thought about seat placements yeah. during these times. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, crazy. Like, me and Judith, we had these conversations, which is, like, we sitting in this first row by the railing because we can jump out and go either way. And, like, let's meet mm-hmm. in the women's bathroom because most people are just going to try to hit doors or run out theater blank and, or make sure you hit this exit because the car is closest here. People will be like, why are you thinking about that? Part of that, and I know we've talked about it in the last couple episodes of our Enneagram, but part of my Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram number six, and I'm a loyalist. But I think of worst case scenarios all the time. Like even right now, as I'm sitting here 
in this recording, give y'all a little insight, but I'm at the crib. But if somebody comes through the front door shooting, my first start, like, will I get hurt if I run through my glass screen door and jump off of the balcony? Or do I try to run through this person at the door with this pistol in their hand? Or can I get to certain weapon before I get shot up? And that just be all in my head. When I'm driving, mm-hmm. I think about this. When I'm walking in my neighborhood, I'm thinking about these things. Like two days ago, I'm sitting in my, oh, I might get some people who hate me for this and I don't care. But for anybody who own pets, <laughs> if you are a pet I'm owner, far, please, in your neighborhood, make sure your pet is on a leash. I'm taking out my trash in my neighborhood, in my apartment complex. I expect to be able to walk to the dumpster and just dump it. As we talk about being healthy and safe and keeping clean. And when I get back, I plan on washing my hands. You mentioned it, Sabrina. Like I never really thought about little things. I had to lift up the dumpster and throw it away. I'm going back to my house and I'm like, oh, snap. Or as you mentioned, of going to the gas station, right? You pump gas, you buy your bag of chips. And in my, I don't know about y'all out listeners, but for me, I wasn't necessarily a germaphobe like that. And I would just buy my bag of chips and I would grab my chips and eat it right there. I didn't think about washing my hands, but I don't know who was Joe Smoke, who just pumped gas before me, he probably was doing all types of craziness. And I never <laughs> felt like I got sick. I never felt like I was worried. But get back to my story. I dumped the trash. I started walking back to my apartment. And out of nowhere, a dog, roof, 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 starts chasing me. Now, I got to jump on some stranger car because this dog is chasing me. <laughs> Sabrina, add some sound effects because I know that was a horrible dog part. <laughs> But that's what happened. And I'm jumping on somebody else's car. And then the, the owner comes out of nowhere. Oh, he doesn't bite. And I look at him just like I tell every other dog owner. How does he eat? <laughs> don't tell me your dog don't bite. Your dog eat, don't he? He ain't swallowing. He ain't drinking smoothies all day. I'm pretty oh sure he got some kibbles and bits. And he chewing those up. He ain't finna chew me up. And I'm saying like, y'all can't be doing this. Now I got my hands on these people's car. Now I'm thinking like, oh man, how about them? Did they have COVID? Was they sitting outside of their car just talking, getting COVID in the air and ice on this surface? Now I got to watch them. And then the dog just sitting there just looking at me. Just roof, roof. Ran back to his owner. He stopped barking. He just looking. Like, he just laughing. And I'm saying like, what's so funny about your dog chasing me? Like, nothing funny about that, bro. Like, that's not a joke. I, and that's why I'm horrified of people and their pets and all the stuff that they go through. And I feel sorry. I don't even know who car I jumped on, too. It was just like the first car that was there. It was one of my neighbors. They didn't come out. The alarm didn't go off. So I was thankful for that. Well, I'm sorry you had that terrifying experience. And I'm sorry I laughed through your whole story. <laughs> I'm just mad you really jumped on someone else's car. But hey. Why not, girl? You got to do what you got to do. It's either that or me get bit. Like the owner said, he doesn't bite. <laughs> he eat. He just ain't bite nobody yet. Like, I don't know about y'all, but I've seen countless stories of Ah, the dog bit this owner. It's like, ah, that was the first time. It's the first time for everything. (laughs) Yeah, all it takes is one time. All it takes is one time, and I don't want to be that one. Side note, talking about bathrooms. My pet peeve is when I walk into a bathroom stall, and I can smell the person came before me. I'm not talking about (laughs) if they do one or two. I'm talking about Thirteen body odor. Maybe there's something. So I don't smell people's butt, sweat, whatever that smell is, and I know it's not one. It's just body, like ill, and it's hanging in the air. I refuse to drop my pants or lift my skirts in any place because if this. Is- thick in the air i don't want those particles on me so we need to figure out what we're going to do about that first covid and then like a body odor protectant or whatever because those fumes if it's that strong no 
And when you said bathroom, it made me mad all over again. I walked in a stall today and I was like, really? Come on. Shout out to my friend Tiffany, but I'd be like, girl, because we're linked on our Apple watches and what? Four or five times a day, it says that she done worked out. And I'm like, hmm. I got a nephew and a cousin like that. And I'm just like, why am I even paired with y'all on this Apple watch? Like, I, <laughs> he just completed a 50 minute workout. Well, good for him. Leave me alone. Okay. I just completed a workout by going to my fridge to open it and see that nothing was in there. And now I'm mad and I had to go sit back down. And then I went back to find something like in the freezer or something and be like, well, I guess I'll cook. Well, I would say like, Sharika, 10 and three, you definitely begin your exercise in when y'all be hitting y'all walks. Like, so let's not act like you not exercising. You just not in the gym. And Sabrina, you only you're not knew the speed about. that Sabrina and I were walking yesterday, it was, we might as well have been going in reverse. We were walking so We mostly use our walk for conversation, not for exercise. Hey, that's part, hey. You got to get it how you can. You got some people with like Sabrina be killing it with her bike. She be biking. She do. That is true. Level of unshapedness that I was experiencing out there playing kickball. I'm going to talk about Sabrina's husband, Doug, right now. Because I was getting to break his kneecap. We were playing kickball. This man kicking like he is David. David, what's the guy? The soccer man. David, whatever his name. David Beckham out there kicking this kickball far out in the field. And I'm like. Who is fitting to get that? Who is running out there? I try to do one little job one time. And then after that, I said, forget it, Doug. I'm not going to get this ball. And when I was talking trash to Doug about about how he was kicking the ball far, he said, what happened to what? He was like, (laughs) Sabrina, did he not come for me on the kickball field? He did. And that's okay because it's just more inspiration. (laughs) It's real for us to get back on. That is true. I cut that real turkey. It'll be slick and slim, thin and all. Now I'm concerned. I've been eating something that resembles turkey, but may not be. Well, thank you guys for rocking with us. Before we go, we got to give you our recommendations. So, E.B., do you have a recommendation this week? I do have a recommendation, but I also want to expound on something. Oh, just kidding, friend. I'm so Hey, y'all see that, people? Y'all see how they're just trying to get me to boot off the podcast. They don't care about the boy no more. For those of you, because sometimes I be breezing through stories and y'all be posting that y'all listen to the podcast. Myself, Sabrina, and Sharika, we greatly appreciate y'all posting it on your IG story. But go ahead and tag us. Tag the kickback page. We want to know the people who are out there listening and vibing to us. And we also mm-hmm. want to interact with y'all because we really want to know what y'all want us to dive into because we love picking our own topics and diving mm-hmm. into stuff that happens. But we also want to know what y'all thinking. Respond to what we talk about and all that good stuff. Desserts, pumpkin pie, sweet potato pie. I don't even care about either one. Bring me the apple. Give me the peach cobbler. I mean, I'll eat the pumpkin or sweet potato, which I've never really knew what's the difference. They taste so similar. Why y'all be acting like they're so, oh my gosh, pumpkins. They're too similar to care. They're too similar to care about. But I love the apple pie an a la mode. Pie is hot and you get the ice cream. And I'm not even a huge ice cream fan, but I throw a little ice cream on the side. I love a good warm dessert. Yes. I can definitely tell the difference between pumpkin and sweet potato, and I'm sweet potato all day. Pumpkin pie is trash. But also, like you, I usually didn't go for that. If there's a peach cobbler, who mm-hmm. cares about pie? Thank if there's you. A, if there's a fire brownie, who cares about pie? I'm going for the best. And that's the only reason cornbread didn't make my top five, because when it comes down to the situation, I got to eat the most that I can. And sometimes bread, it just fills me up too fast. <laughs> 
So while I love it, it's delicious. <laughs> sacrifices have to be made. And the same thing with the desserts. Y'all both disgusting for pies. <laughs> like, ain't nobody eating no pie. Like, you got red velvet cake. It got pound oh, cake. That's disgusting. Red velvet cake is disgusting. Yes, I do not like red velvet cake. It's hold on. So, so you you like choosing dirty pie? You choosing pie over red velvet okay. cake? Okay, in, in that instance, I would definitely put a fork in a pie over a red velvet cake. Yes, indeed. I do you do not the same like to a lemon cake. pound cake? No, no. Now, now we talking different game. Lemon pound cake, I'm here for. Oh, okay. that will that is above the pie. Red velvet is definitely above the pie. Everything above. I eat a cupcake before I eat pie. Well, I will say, people say your taste buds change, and I know red velvet is made with chocolate cake, and I didn't used to like chocolate cake, but now I'm not mad at the chocolate cake. Maybe I got to revisit a red velvet, but all I just remember is tasting that red dye, and it's just like, Bleh. no, thank you. So maybe I'll revisit the red velvet little taste here and see if my taste buds have changed. But For those of you who are, you're just not a good baker. <laughs> um, baking is not your gift. It's cool. <laughs> I have a friend by the name of Tanya, who will likely probably coach you for a Ooh. small fee. But you got to pay her. You can't be getting stuff for free. And I think she would be glad to coach you or walk you through some of her amazing desserts. Shout out to Tanya, because we're going to open up a bakery one of these days. Okay. She don't know it yet, though. She, like, actually going to hear this on the podcast and be like, oh, I, I didn't know we were. We will. <laughs> but even if you don't want to be in the kitchen because you're just like, nope, it's not for me. There's another place. And this is not a paid sponsorship. Hopefully it evolves into one one day. Nothing but cakes. You can go to nothing but cakes and you can get some buttlets. You can get some butt teenies. You can get a butt cake and you can just bring that. And most people, if you don't know it, like and I'm saying this on the real for our listeners, most people don't even know this store exists. So you can like They take don't it have out. them everywhere though, EB. Because when my cool. family was here, I, I introduced it. And my brother was like, what was that name? And I looked up, they have one in his city. Oh, so sad. So sad. <laughs> Poor him. But you could just bring it to the Thanksgiving and just make it seem like it was you. Mm. And everybody be like, oh, how did you do this? That, that's just my love. Two cents um, on the uh, desserts. And don't eat no pie, people. Not even the apple pie, cherry pie, you don't like that peach pie, you don't like none of that. Ain't nobody eating no pie when they got cake in this world. I don't mind a fruit pie, but I don't like the chocolate pie, the custard, those like lemon meringue pie. I don't like if it jiggles in the middle, I'm out. Just so you know, it didn't turn out too well for Nathaniel. Nathaniel basically just got in the ring, got his face, so his head beat in, and he laid out and took a, uh, basically just took a nap on the map. If you want to look it up, you can just put in Jake Paul and Nate Robinson at YouTube. What I mean, it was basically over before it started. You know how you wake up in the morning and you just like, I really got to go to work today. That was the face he made after he got knocked out. He was like, what just happened to me? And he literally was just laid out. Or well, some people were concerned for him because he like just couldn't get up at one point. And I'm saying couldn't Aww. get up. Like they was trying to get him on the stool, but he kept on falling. All that to say is earlier we talked about some of our interests in life, things that we would want to be or things that we could be or things that we see as what we're currently doing, but also our dream jobs. There's also a phrase that a lot of people like to share from time to time. And I'm sharing this with Nate Robinson, if he's listening, and I'm sharing this with the rest of the world. Stay in your lane. There's some stuff that you don't have to attempt. It's great to go maybe deep sea fishing. Maybe you want to go swimming with sharks. Maybe you want to get in a cage with a lion. Maybe you want to be like me and Sabrina and jump out of a plane and go skydiving with our significant other. All those things are great. Those things are two thumbs up. It's amazing to do new things. But there's also some things that you just shouldn't do. If you're not a boxer, you shouldn't get in the ring and try to fight somebody. Maybe you find a boxing friend and say, hey, do you want to fight this guy for me? Because I'm tired of him talking smack. But some battles are not for you to fight. Scripture even tells us that vengeance is for the Lord. 
the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. <laughs> the battle is not that's yours. Like, that's what the scriptures say. And y'all know us, we are Bible-believing individuals, and we try to live that out as much as we can. Even in Exodus, right? It says the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. He was stay still. He, he did stay still. He stayed still, all right? But he didn't oh, let the Lord fight for him. Today. So I think he sees this fight with Logan Paul as a nice payout. And maybe he's here to to help us out for what Nate Robinson did. I was just going to say, if he's doing it for the racism, I'm for it. But I'm just like, Logan Paul, are you really trying to put yourself out here to get killed by Floyd Mayweather? That's the concern for me. Logan, Floyd is true to this and been on this, okay? He ain't new to this. This is his profession. He's been doing this since he was a youngster. Is Logan ready for this? He's absolutely not. <laughs> he gonna be looking like Nate. <laughs> That's a good chance. I'm just scared for Logan Paul. I think he's in over his head, and I'm just like Floyd. Is, is he's like registered? His hands in our registered weapons. Are they? Yeah. Like, yeah, he can't fight a regular person. People still be watching people fight. That stresses me out. I really can't do it. I can't believe Evie purchased it. I remember when I was younger, my grandma, like people would get together with my grandma or even my Uncle Rex, the one that had big Thanksgivings, and watch pay-per-view fights. And I was just like, how are people? Because it's just people punching each other. That's the one thing. Two, I feel like Logan is probably in a very cocky place right now. You know, imagine it's you, Sharika. You've knocked out two people. And one of the people you knocked out is a great athlete. And he just became a meme. So he's on him. And then even so, let's say you're Logan and you do get knocked out. Like Evie said, some people are just about that bottom dollar. Okay, mm. right now today, someone can knock me out for a good five million. Because guess what? I ain't dead. I'll hop back up. I'll have enough for the hospital. Will you? I will. Will of you? Course, after I take that little nap, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be where Evie, Bora Bora, just like you talked about. I would let them know the story of St. Nicholas, but I'm just saying it's this random guy who dropping off gifts or us leaving some Oreo double stuffed cookies with some Velda Farms milk waiting on him. We okay, ain't doing all specific. of that. Like who ate the milks the next morning? Who ate the chips ahoy? I know y'all are going to think this is crazy. Even though I've always known Santa wasn't a thing, like the cookies and milk would still be gone the next day. Like my parents would just eat them and my parents would still hide gifts. Honestly, I just told Doug the other day, I think the gifts were in the trunk because me or in the attic, because me and my brother CJ were like less than two years apart. We would always try to find the gifts. It was still exciting. And we had the merriest Christmas and the happiest, you know, memories, you know, for the most part, even though, sorry, I just remember some of the Christmases were funny, even though we didn't believe in Santa. It's Fun. Now the Easter Bunny, that's dead. I'm not doing that with my kids. <laughs> because unlike Santa being a real person who changed the world, St. Nick, the bunny thing, I, what, what am I going to say? There's a real bunny and we're celebrating yeah, and I'm more so on the <laughs> resurrection Sunday. I know that we stole that kind of holiday from the pagans, but you know what? It's ours now. And I'm just going to lean more towards my Christian roots with the Easter thing. But the Santa thing, no. I have Jesus and I have Santa and no one can take that away from me. There's certain things I don't like mixing up. My mom told me this year that my dad got all these new ornaments on the Christmas tree. I'm not here for it. My dad don't listen to this podcast so I can say how I feel. Where's my baby ornaments, daddy? 
Where are my little ornaments from when I was a kid? I want to see those on the trees. I don't care how beautiful these new ornaments are. They did, however, start a number of popular community social programs, including, and I know I was on it in school, free breakfast programs for school children and free health clinics in 13 African-American communities across the U.S. And I just thought about it because a lot of people like to harp on the Black Panthers. And so I said, you know what, let me just do a quick Google and see what social or community programs did the KKK start? Anything for kids? And you know what I found? The Ku Klux Kitties. <laughs> I wish I was making this oh up. Y'all can, can look this wow. up. The Ku Klux ki Kitties. And no, they did not get free breakfast. But what they did get was baptized into the KKK. And along with their vows to like uh, raise religious children, the parents of these Ku Klux Kitties dedicated the children to the principles and ideals of Americanism, right? So to an outsider, that might sound like the promise to be like super patriotic, but in the KKK, it meant dedicating the children to a lifetime of upholding segregation, bigotry, and violent suppression of anyone who is not a white Protestant. And so this is my other little thing I'll hop on during Back Home Today. Christians, you got to stop pretending like being American and being Christian is like the same level. Mm -hmm. Evie put it best on a status. Sharika's one of, one of Sharika's favorite statuses. What did he say, Sharika? <laughs> Listen, no. It, it's, it's, do you know the one I'm talking yes, about? Yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> there is not going to be no American flag or any national anthems in heaven. And that's on that. Holy, holy, holy. <laughs> That's it. You better start learning that song. <laughs> Thank you, Sabrina, you for enlightening us and sharing with us. Look, I learned a lot today. Listen, the Black Panthers were out here doing stuff for the children, and the KKK was out here doing the Glucose Kitties. One of the things that frustrates me about Kanye West is that Kanye finds a way to talk about people like Harriet Tubman or to say that Black people are still slaves when he has not only married a woman, but he also married into a family who has built a fortune on culture appropriating Ooh, well, the culture of mm, black people. That and that right. just is mind boggling to me as they continue to find ways to look like black women and he finds ways to degrade them daily. Mm. So that frustrates me. So as we continue to expound, well, let me take that. We're not expounding on him no more. <laughs> At least not on this episode. But I want y'all to just... Find ways to maybe go look into stuff that Kanye says and take it with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. Don't don't take it to chest. Don't, don't let take it destroy it at all. your inner peace. Um, or if you like Sabrina, don't take it at all. Don't even go look for it because <laughs> you're gonna be disappointed. Eb, one of your people that you like, Charlemagne. He said, "I don't know why y'all listening to Kanye now. Anyway, he been told y'all he was gonna uh, going to run." Many years ago, we didn't pay attention to him then. That's the problem. We should be people doing are, and he's going to cause. Well, no, I'm not going to blame him for people being irresponsible when it comes to their rights as citizens to be informed and to vote well. But I feel like there's enough noise going on, and there's enough confusion. Why add to it, Kanye? Because he's not in his right mind. He or is, maybe he, he just, just wants uh, the attention. Who knows? I don't know. But we have to be better. We have to be better and not give him the energy that he's looking for. I know, for. but one more question. I know Evie said we're done with Kanye, <laughs> but you you guys' opinions, 
Because I feel like Kanye said this because in Kanye's mind, he truly believes he has a chance. Oh, definitely. But, really? But, so Sharika's the only so one why, no, like he just, doesn't feel so like So why didn't he that. back out then if he hasn't? He, didn't, he said he backed out and then he did a campaign rally <laughs> in South Carolina and was tweeting like, oh, hey, you guys, really help me get on the ballot. I think he just wants the attention. He wants to, he wants the attention, I think. I don't think he really... Jesus is king wanted an attention. Listen, I wasn't fully back on him, but I'm not going to act like I was fully off of him when he dropped those two albums. I would say that he definitely is seeking the attention. I, I think that it may be. He may think he can win because of who's currently in the Oval Office. Hmm. Some days I think I can win. So I was 35. <laughs> you know, I just don't have the backing financially to run on a campaign. Oh, you'd be a great choice, but too. But compared to him... I like my chances. Just expanded on the role of the first lady. Okay. Oh. So they don't have a specific or a direct role in the presidential administration, Mm -hmm. which is, I feel, ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Because you're basically telling me that me and my spouse can be married and we're one, but you're not going to give me a direct role, which is likely because of being a woman. And we know Mm -hmm. how the world treats our lovely ladies in this country and even around the world. But I would encourage you guys to, to go and just see the different things that our first ladies have done throughout the years. From the current one that we have in Melania, who's trying to Be prevent. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, y'all saw she, she was trending. She said, uh, this rose garden is not looking cute during the pandemic. So that's what I'm going to be on. Sorry to interrupt no, you. Sure. Get back on. She was locked in on that rose garden. She is. Um, and when school was in session physically, she was locked in on um, anti-bullying movement. And of course, I know we all remember the wonderful and beautiful and educated next level first <gasps> lady, level. Michelle Obama, as she provided us with all types of things. But I'll be mm. referring to her a little later. Wow. I'm stuck on... Somebody needs to print that naked picture of her and just put be best. (laughs) Be best. She hand them out to all the kids in the school. Don't be ashamed, kids. You came to the earth naked and naked you leave. You know, I really don't want to come for her because she really just minds her own. But when I think of what, how EB described Michelle, right? Who is classy and educated and in so many ways inspired a nation, no matter what side of the political, mm-hmm. you know, rope you're on. And then I think of Melania and the cute outfits. I'm just like, girl. I'm, I, listen, I feel bad for the sis, okay? I do. She's fine. I mean, the problem is she may not be, she's not, I'm not going to say she's problematic because she yeah. isn't, but when you're talking about anti-bullying and your husband's is out here calling bullying? NFL players sons of B-words, I haven't forgotten. Maybe that's why that's her thing. <laughs> so, you talk about, tell you know what we talked about in the pandemic, right? As far as the divorce rates being high. Okay, the escape rates. We don't know what that house is like. Just think about it. Even when they first got in there, she was just like, I'm not living here. I'm just going to live in our house in New York. Okay. So there's probably all types of issues. So today, September the 12th, um, comes an end to National Suicide Prevention Week, which is an annual week-long campaign in the U.S. to inform and engage health professionals, and the general public about suicide prevention and warning signs of suicide. By drawing attention to this 
problem or this challenge of suicide in, the, in our country, the campaign also strives to reduce the stigma surrounding the topic as well as to encourage the pursuit of mental health assistance and support people who have attempted suicide. As part of the campaign, health organizations conduct depression screenings, including self-administered and online tests, and refer interested individuals to a host of resources and aid for them. And one of the reasons it just clicks for me, not only because this is National Suicide Prevention Week, but I just know these last few months, and for some of us, as we still go through what's going on with this pandemic, it has led many people to a state of uncertainty, a state of depression, a state of utter shock, a state of just, I'm not sure what to do, and nobody cares about what I'm going through or what I'm dealing with. And some of the times where this really just, I guess, hits me a different way is when I see young kids, and I say young kids as an elementary and middle school and high school kids who from what we know now to commit suicide because of cyberbullying, which just is mind boggling to me. And to know that from ages 10 to 34, that suicide is the second leading cause of death. And wow. I sit here and look at myself that I'm not 34 yet, so I fit in this category. So like this could possibly be me. And so just thinking about that, thinking about people who are in your corner, in your family, people who you see, things that you may monitor on your social media timeline or news feeds of just making sure that you're there for those people and you're not isolating them or degrading them or devaluing them when they're going through their different moments of life. Check on your people. Absolutely. Definitely check on your friends. What? EB picks his, is what he's going to expound on. And when I pick my invite, we don't tell each other. It, we, like, bring it as a surprise, not only to, like, you guys who are listening, but to each other. So when we're in here, like, hmm, that's interesting. It really is because we don't know when we're doing our own segments what the other people are talking about. So we are also learning. So I think it's cool that we both picked the same person and we had no idea that we were doing that. That is true. So over two decades ago, when people thought about tennis, when it came to Black female athletes in this sport, typically even for many, the only two that they know is the lovely twins of Serena and Venus. And that was just like over two decades, the late 90s when they made their debut. Naomi Osaka did something incredible this past week or last week where she came from behind to win the U.S. Open. And a day later, she looked back in gratitude far further than her past where she tweeted these words. I would like to thank my ancestors because every time I remember their blood runs through my veins, I am reminded that I cannot lose. Mm. I don't know about y'all, but when I've seen that tweet, I would like to thank my ancestors because every time I remember their blood runs through my veins, I am reminded that I cannot lose. Mm. I'm printing that and putting that up in my office. It's wild already. I didn't even know, like you just said, Sharika, that we have flying squirrels. The other thing is that we have flying squirrels that people had to make laws to make them illegal to trap. I'm trying to figure out who are these people. Now, you might be wondering, why would someone do such a thing? Well, one reason is the corruption and the greed of this world. People want more money. And mm -hmm. they were flying them to our lovely allies in South Korea so people can purchase them and do all types of stuff with them. I'm not going to tell you some of the stuff that this article is telling me that people do with it. No. Oh, no. I just think it's disgusting at best. But I will say that not only are flying squirrels leaving our state, people are taking our lovely alligators 
not freshwater turtles. And they're even tagging along some house pets that people no longer know where their pet is. You know, <laughs> who, who stays down the road from you, who's posting on the wall, have you seen this dog? Well, just know that these lovely people snatching up pets. <laughs> As you're listening, please pray for these lovely poachers who are traveling from county to county, snatching up animals and shipping them across seas. This is wild. And this comes from the Florida Wildlife Commission. And they are tired of our precious natural resources being abused. Major Grant Burton, I'm sorry that you have to deal with this. Just know that (laughs) us at the kickback, we feel your pain. And we are praying that you find all of those poachers and that all of those pets get returned to this great state of ours in one piece. I doubt they will, but I hope they do. I'm laughing. I feel bad. But all I'm thinking is hide your pets. Because they pick everybody up in here. They climbing through your windows. They snatching your pets up. (laughs) Trying to poach them. Yeah, that's really horrible. I want for the poachers what they're doing for the animals. I want them to be snatched up and taken somewhere and all the things. That's just so awful. It is. But then the other part of me, if I'm being real... And I know we have some people who love animals. I'm with EB on this one. I don't even know what he's going to say, but I already feel it in my spirit that I'm on the hundred. Well, I said hundreds, but I'll just go with the base. $100,000 for a flying squirrel? You know what that could do for me? (laughs) Okay, never mind. I'm not on the same page with EB. I was just saying, I'm not really sad about the pets. I don't care. Sharika! (laughs) Sharika, just say, let's just say, for example, somebody is out here poaching a squirrel. We're just going to see where everybody hard at this morning. Somebody <laughs> is out here poaching a squirrel. Mm-hmm. The squirrel happens to fly into your window because today is a day of 75 and a light cool breeze in the great state of Florida. Now, as they saw the flying squirrel fly into your house, it's not going to attack you. He comes in and say, hey, I know that there's a flying squirrel inside of your beautiful home. I'm willing to give you $100,000 if you allow me to come inside and take this squirrel. Are you accepting or rejecting that offer? I'm accepting. If this, if the flying squirrel is flying in my house, I'm flying out. I was gonna pay them to get the squirrel, but if they pay me, even better. I don't care for the the critters. Listen, I love God's creatures from afar. If they come close, then this different story. The challenge is that there's a natural balance to our world, and if you are messing with different ecosystems like it's not just you can start to remove these never mind the cruelty to animals that's happening when that's, you're I don't there. but you can really mess everything is connected the native americans tried to tell us y'all didn't hear colors of the wind on pocahontas she was I like listen the tree is my brother the otter is my friend <laughs> thank you all so much for tuning in and listening to our best of episode 2020 for the podcast was a great year because we got started and we really had a good time. I look forward to all the best of moments we'll have in 2021. And if there's one thing I could recommend for you to do in the next year, it would be to keep a gratitude journal. Jot down the things you're thankful for. I know 2020 was hard, but hey, your mindset leads the way. So lead the way with positivity once a day. Write it down. It's more meaningful when you write it down. Furthermore, studies suggest that feelings of gratitude may even possess mental and physical health benefits. So carpe diem. Go into the new year leading with gratitude. What you got for him, Sharika? My little recommendation is something to start right before you get to the new year. 
let's do 2020 with intentionality. I know some people like to do the vision boards. Maybe you're not a vision board. Maybe you just need to start writing things down. Take a moment for this year ends and just ponder what you want for the next year and think about what it will take to get to that point and be intentional. So that's my recommendation. And I want to say thank you guys again for rocking with us for these past few months. It has been a blast. We love doing this and we love our supporters and friends and family or whoever you are that tune in every week. And we appreciate you guys and look forward to seeing you guys next year with some exciting new things. Oh, man. So we're talking gratitude, having basically a year in review um, with intention and how do we make 2021 better for ourselves to our lovely listeners and anybody that you would share this with, whether it be family, friends, strangers, coworkers, you can let any and everybody hear one of my favorite quotes from the late, great Muhammad Ali, which says, don't quit, suffer now and live the rest of your life as a champion. If there's anything I think we've all experienced in 2020 is some form of suffering, whether it's just trying to figure out this pandemic, thinking through people who we lost, whether it be celebrities or relatives or loved ones or friends that we're close to, just a sense of uncertainty through this unprecedented experience of this pandemic. But just you made it. You made it. Um, Just think of it that way. You are a champion, but don't quit. Suffer now and live the rest of your life as a champion. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, if life tries to knock you down, remember to kick back. Love you guys. In the happiest of New Year's.